You're listening to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where Jim and Patrick watch and discuss a drive-in double feature consisting of horror films, spy films, exploitation movies, erotic thrillers, sex comedies, and the like. Our ultimate goal is to determine if these two movies, randomly selected from a list of over 1,600, would make for a good drive-in double feature. We will be going through the plots of these movies in detail, so if you're concerned about spoilers, feel free to check them out before listening to us, and we'll be sure to point out if and when these films are available on various streaming services. Be sure to follow us on Twitter for any updates. That's at driveinpodcasts, no underscores, hyphens, or spaces. And let's get started. I'm your host, Patrick, and I'm joined by... Jim. So, Jim, this time we've got A Nightmare on Elm Street and Puppet Master, two 80s horror classics, two movies that are both available to stream on the same platform, as long as you're in the United States, which is great. They're both on HBO Max, at least as of when we're recording this. Hopefully that doesn't change. I know, I'll tell you, I had both of them on Prime, I think, uh, like a month ago, and now I, I looked about a week ago and they were gone, so I uh, had to find them by other means. Uh, I mean, I own Nightmare on Elm Street on DVD. My brother also owns it on iTunes, so we can watch it on Apple TV. I don't own Puppet Master, although I am considering subscribing to Full Moon Streaming for a year, in which case I would get a box set of 12 Puppet Master films, (laughs) so I might do that. I don't know. If anyone listening to us has experience with that streaming service, please reach out to me on Twitter. I'm curious to hear how it works, because I don't know many people who've done it. You know, I need more David Dakota movies in my life, so, you know, Full Moon seems like a great opportunity for that. So to get started with Nightmare on Elm Street, this is a very, very important movie for everybody involved and for the studio involved. Obviously, this is New Line Cinema. This is kind of their first big movie. It's not itself like a huge movie. It obviously had bigger sequels and things like that. Mm-hmm. But this was kind of New Line's first brush with success, and therefore, you can kind of imagine there's no Lord of the Rings trilogy without Freddy, so we've got <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street to thank for that, of course. Yeah, thank you, Nightmare on Elm Street. And this is also like, this is a Wes Craven movie, and this is mm-hmm. not our first Wes Cra- Craven movie. We did do Shocker way back in, I think, our third episode. Yes, yeah. Which, which itself was kind of trying to be its own Nightmare on Elm Street kind of thing. Yeah, so Wes Craven, he's not a complete nobody at this point, but he's not hes not Wes Craven as we know him today, because he did Last House on the Left in 72, he did The Hills Have Eyes in 77, and those mm-hmm. are both successes, but not really like mainstream successes. And then in Nightmare on Elm Street, it really is his first kind of mainstream success. Uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe Swamp Thing kind of was, I don't know. I, I don't know who the hell saw Swamp Thing in the theater. Weirdos, probably. <laughs> but, but yeah, because I think Swamp Thing is before this. But obviously, like, you know, Wes Craven went on to do the Scream movies. He's directed all four Scream movies that have come out to date. I This is this is my favorite Wes Craven movie, and I have said before, Wes Craven is one of my favorite horror directors. I don't think he's probably as good a filmmaker as someone like John Carpenter or something, but I just really like his movies. I tend to like the way, more so than he directs, the way he writes. I like that a lot. 
I honestly don't think I could say I've seen a bunch of Wes Craven movies. I think probably Shocker and A Nightmare on Elm Street and I guess the Scream movies. But okay. I will agree with you from what I've seen that uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street is my favorite. And the first time I saw this movie was a long, long, long time ago when I was a kid. The second time I saw it was with you. Oh, really? That's just the second time? Okay. Yeah, I think that was, that was probably the second time. But that was the first time I think I really appreciated this. And, uh, we did a, a double feature, since. Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Yeah, the two we great did, yeah. 1984 slasher <laughs> movies. But yeah, I uh, I really like this. I think it's a fantastic movie. And it's, uh, I mean, I, I think there's a reason it still scares people today. You know, it's absolutely terrifying. Well, it's, it's a, and we'll get into this, but it's a perfect premise. It really is. I think I have problems with some of the execution, especially kind of in the latter half of the movie, I think. It's not as strong as it is earlier, mm-hmm. but it's just such a great premise. This whole, if you die in a dream, if you get killed in a dream by this by this guy, by this monster, you die in real life is just like perfect and it's simple. It's it, You almost wonder like, how did nobody come up with this before? I know, yeah. But then again, I mean, this is 1984. This is a long time ago at this point. But I mean, it's just such a such a great concept. And there have been like other dumber versions of this kind of thing. I remember. Do you remember the movie Stay Alive? It's from like 2006, oh, probably. I think so. It's it might be the last movie Frankie Muniz ever made, ever appeared in, because he kind of retired from acting. I remember he was my favorite part of that movie. I I don't remember like anything about it. I just remember it's a video game, and if you die in the video game, you die in real life. So it's like I the same. Like it's I've like the Nightmare on Elm Street plot, but dumber. <laughs> <laughs> that. that I can't say I reckon, recommend that movie, although it's been a long time since I've seen it. Maybe it's maybe it's a so bad it's good movie. I don't know. I remember Frankie Muniz had like a dumb hat. Wasn't That's Frankie? Wasn't Frankie Muniz? Uh, he wasn't he in that other movie? Uh, Frankie Big, Muniz has been in more than, more than one movie. It could well, be. yeah, I know. Yeah, but wasn't he in uh, Big Fat Liar with Amanda yes, Bynes? Yes, my Big Fat Greek Liar. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that movie as a kid. Dude, I, I loved that, it so much. I mean, it, it's it's funny to me that like years later, I went on to like appreciate Paul Giamatti <laughs> as like a wonderful, the wonderful actor that he is. But I still yeah. always remember him as being dyed blue. Yeah, with the with like, the red eyebrows and beard. <laughs> Sideways is one of my favorite movies ever, and I'm still picturing him being dyed blue when I watched that movie. <laughs> so let's let's get into it. I guess just like Paul Giamatti diving into a pool of blue dye, <laughs> blue dye. <laughs> that's a, that movie brings back some memories <laughs> i'm blue Big fat liar. Dee, i enjoyed that movie a lot i was like what t- probably 10 9 or 10 when that came out i love that movie but anyway <laughs> speaking of movies that i also love but i did not see when i was 9 or 10 nightmare on elm street i probably saw for the first time i was probably in high school and this was kind of I guess to delay of when we're actually getting into the plot here too. You shared a little bit about your experience with this movie, so I may as well. But I wasn't into horror movies when I was younger, and I always kind of knew I couldn't handle them, or I, I guess I suspected that because I didn't really watch them. I would watch like the older ones, like Psycho, mm-hmm. the Universal Monsters. I loved loved those when I was younger. But I'm always kind of like you know the, the Ring, the Grudge. Like I'd probably be covering my eyes, right? And then I uh, started reading a lot of horror books. And granted, the way a book scares you and the way a movie scares you is a lot different because the a, a book can't really startle you and make you jump. <laughs> yeah. It yeah, just doesn't have that ability. <laughs> oh, I, I did drop uh, the seventh Harry Potter book and yell when they got to the ending, but that uh, <laughs> unrelated to the emotion of fear. 
And so, like, after I read, like, a lot of horror novels, and I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe I should start watching horror <laughs> movies. And A Nightmare on Elm Street just kind of happened to be one of the first ones I saw. I think my brother may have bought it or something. It was just, like, lying around. And, and I'm like, sure, I'll watch this. And it was really good. And for a long time, I considered it to be the scariest movie I'd ever seen, even after I saw other scary horror movies and stuff like that. And I mean, it's not that for me now, but I'm also not really scared by movies now, especially movies that I've seen a bunch of times over like this. But I definitely, I mean, on the strength of the premise and some of the sequences, I absolutely understand why this could scare somebody for sure. It's just, that's not really why I appreciate it. I appreciate it just because it's so much freaking fun and it's a, a great story. And this story starts out with, uh, we get kind of a weird opening title kind of thing. There's almost like this picture-in-picture kind of editing. Mm -hmm. As you see Freddy making his glove, the font used for the credits is dangerously close to Comic Sans. It just... (laughs) It's not, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it does not, it's not scary horror movie no, it, font. It looks like a joke. It looks like it would almost be like the opening credits for Weekend at Bernie's or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, I would, <laughs> if I were to change one thing about this movie other than the ending, it would probably be the font. It's just, <laughs> it's just the font in the credits. As this is all going on, we meet Tina, who's just kind of wandering around in her nightgown. Tina is played by Amanda Wiss. Mm-hmm. I don't know what she's famous for. I know her from this. She's also in Shakma. I've seen Shakma. I don't think that's where she gained her international fame, if you will. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> Cannot recommend not watching Shakma enough. <laughs> she's wandering around these halls in this like boiler room. She's dreaming. We don't necessarily know that yet. I mean, the the kind yeah. of the the giveaway, and this is something I never understood as a kid, sixteen, not really a kid. Is she sees like a sheep? Yes. And I didn't yeah. know what the hell that was, but I but it's because it's the whole counting sheep thing, right? That yeah. that's the visual giveaway that this is a dream. I mean, I, I actually kind of like the detail now that I, I for a while it was just like. What is it scary to just slip an animal in in the, in the scene? I don't, yeah, I don't really get like a that. Cuddly, fluffy sheep. <laughs> so she wanders about, and eventually, in the boiler room, is attacked by Freddy, who we don't see too well here. We don't really see his face all that well. So he grabs her. We see obviously he's got the glove, the glove with the knives on the fingers. Mm-hmm classic movie weapon it's up there with the lightsaber and the i was always partial to the noisy cricket from men in black oh that's a great one yeah that's one of the all-time great movie weapons that no one seems to talk about that's a great (laughs) one but but freddy's glove is great i wish it had like a more proper name you know what i mean it's just like it's freddy's glove (laughs) yeah well i mean noisy cricket lightsaber like we get like it needs a needs a name like that I mean, you could call it the power glove because that's what Freddy calls it at one point, but that's <laughs> referencing, <laughs> that's in the sixth night round. We don't talk about that yeah, one. Yeah, no. <laughs> We're just going to call it a glove, I guess. And Tina wakes up and her mother comes in and sees like, hey, well, are you okay? And she's like, oh yeah, I was just having a bad dream. And then her mother points out that her <laughs> nightgown is ripped. Yeah. So the implication obviously is that Freddy cut her nightgown. I love the line that the mother delivers there, too, where she goes, either cut your fingernails or quit that kind of dreaming. (laughs) The scenes we have with parents in this movie, they all seem sick of their kids. (laughs) 
yeah. you know what I mean? And, <laughs> yeah. and I, I think that that's by design. It's and it's because you can't. It's difficult to write a story like this. Any kind of horror movie where like the teenagers are in a situation where you know, some kind of supernatural situation where people wouldn't understand unless they experienced it. Mm. It's hard to write a story like that with people having like healthy relationships with their parents, I guess, you know? Yeah. So Tina's mother is just like, yeah, whatever. And then Nancy's mother's a drunk, obviously. <laughs> her father, her father's okay. Like, I mean, her father, she doesn't live with her father or anything. And that's, that's a bit of a strained relationship, probably just because of the divorce. But I don't get the impression that he is pissed off at her or frustrated with her like the mother is. Yeah. And obviously, um, the, some of that's driven by how weird things get with Nancy. Glenn's parents obviously disapprove of his relationship with Nancy. That's what we, 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 we'll get to this, but we get we get probably forty five seconds total of Glenn's parents, <laughs> and for those forty five seconds, they are the most important characters of the movie. It's very kind of strange. Yeah, well, and also too, his parents are like the only normal parents. I mean, at one point, because what does he say? He well, his like, mother looks 70, so I don't know about that. There's, well, <laughs> yeah. she actually doesn't. There's the, the first scene where you see her, it's something about the lighting yeah, makes her look so old. Yeah. And then when she's outside talking to her, her husband, she doesn't look that old. So it's just like a weird the, the scene where we first meet her. It's just like, is that his mother or his grandmother? Maybe it's like that ugly light from Seinfeld. You know, she's just got to be in the right light. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, then we meet all of our main teen characters as they go to school, and Tina and Nancy are best friends, and Tina's talking about how she couldn't sleep well because she had a bad dream, and Nancy also mentions she had a bad dream. They're being driven to school by Johnny Depp playing Glenn. Oh, I want to call him D- Glenn Danzig. Do we? Get, I'm sure we get his last <laughs> name. It's not Danzig. But, uh, and then uh, Nancy, of course, is played by Heather Langenkamp, mm. who's best known for A Nightmare on Elm Street. And a Nightmare on Elm Street three, and Wes Craven's New Nightmare. For some reason, I always get her. She's confused. in one of the Hellraiser sequels, I believe. I think she's in Hellraiser Judgment. Maybe I, I can't remember. I always get her confused with being in Starship Troopers, but I don't think she is. Oh no, that's D- Denise Richards and the one from Saw, Dina Meyer. Oh yeah. But no, I I get Heather Langenkamp confused with someone I went to high school with who looks exactly like her. It's like <laughs> uncanny. It's, it's, it's someone I did not by any means keep in touch with. Again, I see Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time when I'm like in high school. And I don't think I put two and two together then. And it was like years later, I'm watching this. I'm like, she looks exactly like someone else. And then I'm like, oh my God, is, is that person from high school? <laughs> and I looked her up on Facebook and she has like her exact eyes and nose. It's like really creepy. Oh my God. <laughs> Speaking of creepy, since Heather Langenkamp appears in three Nightmare on Elm Street movies, as well as a ZZ Top music video in which she <laughs> falls asleep in bed or like the music video opens with she's in bed. This is like, I think this is probably her first acting role. I can't even remember. It's not one of the all time classic ZZ Top songs. And, uh, I mean, she's in bed in that commercial. I've probably seen this woman asleep in bed more than anyone in my personal life. You know? <laughs> she's, she's always sleeping. Or, or not sleeping, but <laughs> trying to stay awake while in bed or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what it is with that Heather Langenkamp sleeping on the job. But we, of course, also in this scene meet Rod, who... I don't actually think he goes to their high school. I get the impression he's, like, supposed to be a few years older 
he's you know he's like 21 maybe i i don't know i mean he maybe goes to high school but i i think he's just kind of he's one of those i mean every high school has this like some loser like high school dropout who's a few years older who tries to date people at that high school right (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah absolutely (laughs) (laughs) coincidentally the person i went to high school with who looks like heather lane camp dated one of those guys i remember that 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 was when i discovered that those people exist poor girl so so rod and tina are dating but they've had some kind of fight we never really learn what that's about and ultimately it doesn't matter they're just not fully happy but tina's in an upset mood, not not so much because of her relationship with Rod, but really this dream has gotten under her skin. So after school, Glenn and Nancy go over there, and this is a really fun scene. I mean, there's more talking of the dream, and this is when we discover that Tina and Nancy had the same dream, or at least dreamed about the same person. Mm-hmm. Nancy's the one that identifies the fingernails, and then she corrects herself. It's, oh, they weren't fingernails. It was more like knives on his fingers. But this is a fun scene also because this is when Johnny Depp is doing his, um, (laughs) this is a completely pointless scene, but I like it, it, where he's on the phone with his mom saying like, hey, I can't come home. I'm busy. You know, I'm over at my whoever's house and, you know, he lives by the airport and he's using this record player. A boombox, um, I think. Or not record player, sorry, tape player. And he's got a tape of like loud road sound effects and stuff so he's playing that to pass that off as traffic but obviously Mm -hmm. he didn't listen to it all the way through because eventually there's a very loud car accident on the (laughs) on the tape and he's like oh i gotta go to mom (laughs) it's like someone's been hurt (laughs) i like that scene it's great it's it's very silly but but it's fun like i like scenes like this this i like meeting our some of our main characters in these kinds of humorous situations it works in this movie it works in so many other movies it didn't work in shocker if you remember right, that was a complaint we had when when our main character gets knocked out on a football field and we weren't sure if he oh, was pretending yeah. to not know his girlfriend. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't always work. Yeah, I was confused for like 15 minutes. So Tina has the two of them over for a sleepover and then Rod ends up inviting himself. Um, <laughs> Rod and Tina obviously make up over their argument pretty quickly because they are having incredibly loud sex while <laughs> Nancy and Glenn are sleeping in separate beds. Glenn's clearly very upset about that. Nancy insisted, though, like, no, we're not here for us. We're here for Tina. And then <laughs> we don't see it. But the sound of Tina and Rod having sex is like, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's pretty pretty out there it's a couple of teenagers trying too hard is what it is well yeah yeah no it sounds it's 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 comedic in, exactly in, yeah. it doesn't sound like real sex and, and <laughs> i don't know if it's meant to be comedic but i do laugh and I, I think it's supposed to be comedic because you hear it and the camera's on glenn at the time and glenn's like thinking ah oh, damn i wish that you know like because he's like oh <laughs> yeah what did he, he say wanted he said- to have sex he said something like, being moral sucks or something like that. Yeah, he, he has a line like that. I don't remember if it's moral. <laughs> and what does Johnny Depp know about being moral anyway? <laughs> Take that. Okay, so Johnny Depp, hatred aside, because we're learning more and more things about that entire situation seemingly by the day. <laughs> and it sounds like a fucking mess from yeah, all ends. So I, I've always never really liked Johnny Depp as an actor, mostly just because he's in so many Tim Burton movies. He's <laughs> always playing that pale weirdo. It gets like repetitive. I mean, he's a talented guy and he's he's good here. Like, I have no complaints about him here. <laughs> yeah, no, Johnny Depp is not 
what I'm trying to talk about right now. But this is, I think you said before when we saw this, this little shot or scene coming up here is like your favorite part of the movie. It's probably mine too. Yeah. Nancy is in bed and she's in Tina's bed. Tina, I guess, is in her parents' bed. But we know it's Tina's bed because earlier we saw the crucifix. As Nancy's in bed, the wall moves in, comes in closer on her, and you see the form of a head and and two hands kind of reaching out there and then it just goes back to normal and yeah, this it's might be incredible yeah like this might be one of the greatest practical effects in history honestly level of difficulty not that high exactly, honestly it's yeah. just like a it's just like a fabric and really clever lighting exactly but like, it's super simple but in terms of just how authentic it looks you don't doubt for a second that that's a wall. It exactly. looks like a wall as it moves in. So after the figure kind of recedes back into the wall, Nancy wakes up and then turns around and like taps the wall and it's solid. Yeah. It's just such a perfect ending to that little scene too. So after that, Tina slips into a dream again. And this I really like early on in this movie, you don't really know when people are dreaming. She kind of just gets up from bed and you think like, okay, she's awake. It's just late at night. But then like slowly the situation she finds herself in just gets weirder and weirder. So Tina wanders outside, which, you know, great idea. She finds herself in the alleyway where she meets freddy and freddy's first appearance here i mean this isn't the first time we see him but in this upcoming scene this is the most we will have seen freddy up to this point yeah and his first kind of reveal in this scene is kind of weird because he's got the stretch armstrong thing (laughs) you know he's got the (laughs) he's mr fantastic or whatever it's not the not the i mean this movie has some incredible practical effects even some really easy stuff that's pulled off really well like you mentioned this effect here not that great no, yeah, I mean, it's it's not that great, and I agree with you, but it succeeds in one thing. It's unsettling. When okay. When you see that figure with these elongated arms, you're like, that's weird. And then mm-hmm. um, Tina starts to run in the opposite direction, and then Freddy chases her, but he kind of hobbles. <laughs> like, yes, like this, a gremlin this, or something, you know? <laughs> this bit I love. This yeah, where Where fantastic. he kind of runs after her, and he, he, he reminds me, his kind of running... He runs kind of like how Igor walks in Young Frankenstein. It's like the walk this way <laughs> yeah. where he's kind of like almost limping, like moving side to side almost. Obviously, the camera's on Tina, so that Freddy there is just in the background. And then she runs right into Freddy. So there's another Freddy in front of her. And that's that's why the other Freddy isn't running fast. So you can't catch up to the camera and you can't see that that's not actually Robert England. <laughs> mm-hmm. But no, I, I do love that. That little jump scare there is great. I also want to say something about the uh, the Freddy arms. So this isn't the last time Freddy had super stretch arms because there is, I can't remember if it comes up in any of the movies after, I mean, it might, it might not, but <laughs> the, uh, the Freddy's Nightmares television series, <laughs> which, I, uh, which I finished watching like a month or two ago, can't say <laughs> I recommend it. It's kind of like one of those where it's like I'm a few episodes in and I'm like, okay, you know, it's two seasons. Let me just get through this because like there's good episodes here and there, but for the most part, it's like, oh, God. <laughs> most of the episodes don't center around Freddy. Freddy's kind of your um, crypt keeper who kind of introduces the story and has a little joke here or there. One of the episodes that does focus on Freddy has it's these two twins that have the same dreams and they have to learn to fight Freddy in each other's dream. They have to do the Nightmare on Elm Street 3 thing where they pull pull each other into the dreams. Gotcha, yeah. And there's a scene where Freddy 
This is my favorite scene probably the entire television series. Otherwise, I wouldn't bring it up because the show's not really worth talking about. But <laughs> there's a scene where Freddy's, like, attacking them. And he, I think he is holding, like, one of them captive. Like, he's holding her around the neck and the other one's over there. And so he reaches out to her and he's got the super stretch arm. Oh, my just, God. Like, and the effect is so horrifically done. <laughs> And, like, horrifically isn't bad, not, like, this is horrifying. Yeah, yeah. Like, you see, I mean, I'm watching on awful, awful quality because that that series never got a proper DVD release. So I'm watching it on just, like, someone from Cleveland taped this the night it was showing on TV or something like that. And that's that's the version that I'm watching. So it's it's bad quality. Everything's fuzzy. But I could see the strings very, very clearly on that arm. So I wonder how apparent they, they, how much worse they looked when you're, if you're watching that television series in high definition, come to think of it, that might be the reason it never got a DVD release. Uh, well, yeah. you know, well, you know, going back to this movie, the stretch arms in this movie, while I said that they're unsettling, they also do look kind of stupid because you can tell that underneath, like the sweater arms, are you like, you know, those bathroom mirrors that like your grandparents have on the wall that like that you can like, there's mirrors that you can kind of pull off the wall and they're on like that metal arm that kind of like stretches out. Yeah, it looks like that is under the sweater arm, and somebody's got like a lever that they're pulling, <laughs> and it's like. Oh well, yeah, yeah, I I agree. It looks like there should be something more to this arm effect. Yeah, because there's clearly like I agree. It looks like something else is like rigged up to maybe have the arms move so that they're not just being held out, but nothing happens. So maybe there was an effect that didn't work or something, or maybe. Yeah. They just figured, you know, the arms look stupid enough. <laughs> Let's move on. Next scene. Anyways, Freddy chases Tina all about, all throughout the neighborhood. He cuts off his own fingers to show how crazy it is, and or how, how crazy he is. And he's got this green blood goo kind of squirting, which is cool. Tina pulls off his face at one point, and he's got a little skeleton face in there. That's also that's another effect that's not that great. Yeah, but <laughs> Freddy gets on top of Tina and starts killing her and this is when we cut back to the real world and we're seeing this happen and this scene again we've had some bad effects we we've got some great ones too where she gets pulled up like well she she gets pulled up into the air and is being just kind of spun around and she's being cut and there's blood coming out Mm-hmm. And this is really great stuff. I mean, I'm sure it's just like strings, but it's 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 kind of exorcisty, you know? It oh, looks yeah, probably sure. as good as that does in this kind of thing. And Rod obviously wakes up at this point and he gets kind of just smacked away. So he's he gets like smacked and kind of thrown in the in the corner of the room where he has to kind of watch the rest of the scene play out from there because they have to like glue him down to the ground as the room rotates. <laughs> I'm sure that's the reason, but because then tina at this point covered in blood ends up like in the corner of the room but like up on the ceiling and she starts getting dragged across the ceiling with again more and more blood and this is how she dies it's just incredible this is is another i don't want to say this is a simple effect because this is probably expensive as hell but but it is just a rotating room you know Billie eilish did something like that when she was on snl not that long ago you know, there's there's rotating rooms out there. Yeah, you know, and again, I think this just goes to show that, I mean, it's a it's a relatively simple effect, and it's practical, and it looks amazing. It really does, yes. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've joked around about the scene, and we are focusing on the effect of it, but really, 
the the effect is in the special effect, but really the effect of it just emotionally, this is shocking. I mean, this is this is the first death of the movie, and it's truly amazing. I mean, you, you don't see things like this in a whole lot of other movies, especially prior to 1984. Anyways, so she falls to the bed, and Rod just dips, and he takes <laughs> off, and uh, Glenn and Nancy come in. Nancy's wearing like a... I think it's probably supposed to be football, but it's, it looks like like a hockey jersey. Yeah. And it gives its long sleeves, and it's number 11, so I want to say she's a big Marc Messier fan, but that's all I got. I don't know. Does It's it's <laughs> like, I want to say it's like pink. It's not Edmonton Oilers colors, so I don't know. <laughs> so then we meet Lieutenant Donald Thompson, played by the great John Saxon, the late great. He died like a couple months ago. I think he died in... It might have been late 2020, but it might have even been early 2021. But he's the cop on the case here, and he learns all about this, but he immediately wants to figure out what she was doing there. He says to this other cop, and she's like, well, it's her home. Like, of course she was there. And he's like, not her. And he opens the door, and this is where we learn that Nancy is his daughter. And I I just love that little, like, how we learn that. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. It's way more interesting than just, than us cutting to, like, him sitting down and talking to her, you know? So Lieutenant Thompson talks with Nancy and Nancy's mother. Do you remember her name? Uh, no, let's just call her drunk. Yeah, I mean, that's she's the worst character in the movie. She's probably the worst actor. You know who movie. she looks like? She looks like, oh man, what's what's her fucking movie? What was the name of the actress who played Agent Scully? Jillian Anderson? Yeah, yeah she I, looks I, like I a tired that. Jillian Anderson. I, I could see that, absolutely. A tired and bad acting Jillian Anderson. <laughs> Lieutenant Thompson talks to Nancy and asks her, you know, what were you doing over there? Not just sleep over, over at a girl's house with Glenn, your boyfriend but you know what were you doing over there with a psychopath referring to rod because rod apparently has a criminal record of some sort which is why he fled the scene when he wears a leather jacket of course he does well yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) indiana jones and his criminal record oh my god the fawns of course but yeah (laughs) that's a thing with like 80s movies where it's like our bad boy teens are always like greasers you know yeah it's like the 80s was trying to relive the 50s (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, and that's got to just be, like, Wes Craven or whoever, because it's not just this movie, but, like, other directors, writers, they grew up in the 50s, and they didn't know what what the, what those kind of, like, bad boys were like in yeah. the 80s, and it would <laughs> yeah. be, in 84, it would probably be, like, a, like a punk, or maybe, you know, like maybe, like, metal. a metalhead, maybe. Yeah. yeah, well, not not really hair metal, more like, like, early Metallica. Yeah, or like right. Slayer, I think was around at that time. I I don't I don't listen to this shit. I hate Slayer, but <laughs> uh, that's I mean that's what I know about metal. Yeah, hair metal seemed like a that's like an older group. I want to say I don't think that was like teens. Oh, uh, hair metal is also known as glam metal or pop metal. It's the subgenre of heavy metal. Well, yeah, I mean I've heard it referred to as glam metal, and pop metal is a pretty accurate description, I think, because those songs definitely have more pop sensibility than like Megadeth or, or uh, Metallica, right? You know, if you think of your yes, yeah, Motley Crue, which I I will say this, I I, I don't like hair metal either. Motley Crue's got some guilty pleasure songs for me though. I kind <laughs> of enjoy them. They are the um, I feel like they. Motley Crue seems self-aware to me. They seem like they knew their genre was kind of stupid, and so they're just going to have as much fun as possible with it. Yeah, I see what you're saying, yeah. 
that's kind of how I feel about Motley Crue. Because glam metal is stupid. If you, if you <laughs> like hair metal in 2021, unironically, I don't want to say you're stupid, but you probably need to rethink your life choices at least a little bit. I mean, you're, you're hearing this from someone who just watched Puppet Master twice back to back. So <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. I'm the authority on this. <laughs> so the next day, Nancy, I don't want to say she wakes up because she actually hadn't slept the night before, but she's getting ready to go to school. Her mother is trying to... Her mother, after, like, hiding a bottle of vodka, is trying to get her not to go to school. But she insists on going, and she's like, oh, I'll sleep during study hall. And and she's on her way there. She's greeted rather rudely by Rod, who takes her into, like, the bushes. And he insists he's innocent and that he ran because, you know, they would just nab him with murder. And then Nancy's dad shows up with a gun, and Rod takes off. Nancy gets in the way of her father, preventing him from shooting Rod, which I don't know why he would have shot <laughs> yeah. him because he ends up running into like five other cops right up there. But, you know, cops in movies, man, in real life to a certain extent, too. So they arrest Rod. Nancy realizes that like, oh, this whole thing was a setup. You guys like thought that Rod was like going to come after me or something. <laughs> and uh, then her dad's like, what the hell were you thinking going to school anyway? <laughs> And it's like, that's fair. I, I, I have a feeling if a friend of mine died, best friend or not, like if a close friend of mine dies specifically in a horrifically violent way when I'm at their house, I have a feeling I'm getting at least one day off of school. <laughs> I know, and you know, right? my mother's a teacher yeah. and like she would be probably the most hesitant about that kind of thing. <laughs> but like, no, I f- feel like even even she would be understanding in that in that scenario. <laughs> So she's at school. She's in English class taught by Lynn Shay, who eventually was obviously in, she's in the Insidious movie. She's kind of, but she's also Magda in There's Something About Mary, oh. which blows my mind because you wouldn't recognize it because in, in that movie, she's like so heavily made up and with this stupid fake tan and everything. Yeah, I would never have noticed. Which also reminds me because like Nancy's mom, she does, she's not Magda tan, but her tan is really, it's too much in this movie. <laughs> You know what yeah. I mean? I know, yeah, she looks like somebody who like a little a little Trumpish, you could say, sort of. Yeah, yeah. It, she, it's a, we're not we're not full Magda, but we're at least half Trump. She drinks margaritas in the morning, and then goes to the tanning salon for like five hours, then comes home. And well, here's the thing: I had always heard of this. I mean, I don't know any alcoholics that I'm aware of in my life, but supposedly, like a really severe alcoholic, you can like tell in the coloring in their face, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe she's just jaundiced. <laughs> Her oh no 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 no! I'm I'm saying she's putting that tan on to cover oh, that yes. up. Yes, yes, good point. <laughs> Maybe this is like a really clever thing Wes Craven's doing, except nothing else about her alcoholism is subtle in any way. So I highly <laughs> doubt that. So anyway, she's at school, and this scene's really great. This is one of my favorite movie cliches ever, and this is probably the best version of it I've seen. But I absolutely love when <laughs> when. People are in class. It's usually an English class. And what's being discussed in class relates to the plot in some way. Yeah. I don't even want to say it's clever, but it's just like, it's just so like, why wouldn't you do that if you're doing a movie where people are in school? In this case, I think it actually is clever because, or at least how it's done, because it's while some kid is reading a speech from Hamlet. They say Julius Caesar. I don't know if, because this is kind of noise in the background, so they might refer to another line in Julius Caesar because there is discussion of dreams in Julius Caesar. Julius (laughs) Caesar, not seizure. 
because uh, Caesar has like premonitions of his own death, right? Yeah. But Hamlet is the bad dream speech, and that's what this kid is reading aloud. And it's a really cool scene, the way the sound changes. And he's reading it in a creepy voice, like almost like a whisper. Yeah, it's great. And this is while Nancy, again, slips into the dream and see, or she hears her name being called. She sees her friend Tina in a body bag. And she goes out in the hall and follows her, runs into one of those hall pass guards. <laughs> um, who uh, my, I'd never went to a school that required hall passes. I don't know if those guys are still around or if that's like a thing from the past. I went to a school where you required a hall pass, and it was a meter stick with with hall pass written. On well, it. yeah, that that's that's how I picture them being. Yeah. Anyways, this she runs into her and she's like, "Where's your pass?" And he says, "Screw your pass." And then I've never cared for this moment, but the hall pass person, the hall pass like what do they call those like? monitor like security guard yeah hall monitor that's right she looks back at her and she's got freddy's glove and freddy's sweater and she's like no running in the hallway but anyways we see the body bag being like dragged across the floor it's great yeah that might be one of my other favorite shots in this movie when nancy comes out of the classroom and looks down the hallway and you just see tina's body laying there in the bag and then her arm flops backwards and her legs are lifted and she's just dragged oh it's so great it's so great This is also another scene where it's done really well, that transition between reality and the dream world, where it doesn't actually seem Mm -hmm. like Nancy has drifted off to sleep because she wakes herself up immediately. As soon as she kind of just sort of starts to close her eyes, she wakes herself up and you're like, oh, she Mm -hmm. she didn't fall asleep. And then immediately body bag. Yeah, this is probably the most effective transition from wake to dream in the movie i think and this Mm -hmm. this entire scene is just fantastic going back to the creepy kid reading the creepy shakespeare speech so everything about this is so great body bag tina is really creepy (laughs) uh very a, a kind of a ghostly visage very pale obviously because being dead and i will agree with you the only thing i don't really like is the hall monitor nancy winds up in the boiler room and comes across freddie Freddie's threatening her and she tries to wake herself up so she does this by putting her arm on like a steaming hot pipe and she wakes up screaming in class and people are freaking out you know trying to calm her down the teacher Lynn Shea is being helpful Nancy gets sent home and there's the last line of the scene is actually kind of comical because uh, Lynn Shea the teacher says don't forget your hall pass (laughs) yeah that almost makes the stupid hall pass stuff earlier worth it almost yeah almost I agree but yeah, I actually don't remember that line in the past. I, I don't remember Lynn Shay having as many lines as she does. Not that she has many here. Because because she literally is, it's just a, she's like barely an actor at this point. She's literally, she's Robert Shay, the head of New Line Cinema, is the producer on this film. And I'm sure he just gave her the role because, hey, you're my sister. You know, hey, you've been talking about acting for years. Why don't you finally get out there? <laughs> Show us what you got. Yeah, I don't even know if this is her first movie. I mean, Bob Shea appears in roles like that throughout the series. He, I think he is a teacher in one of the Nightmare on Elm Street series, in one of the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. He gets lines here and there. It's not as heavy as his sister does here. But yeah, no, he, he shows up. He's like a principal in Freddy vs. Jason. He's a teacher in maybe in Nightmare on Elm Street, like, four. He's a bartender at a gay bar in a Nightmare on Elm Street, two. <laughs> He's like a ticket collector. No, he's the ticket collector at the cinema in A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, which means he's the teacher probably in 3 or 5. 
again, there's no Lord of the Rings without this man. Yeah, I was gonna say. And he he yeah. staked everything on this on this stupid Freddy movie. So we got we got to thank him <laughs> for that. We stand Robert Shea. He looks a little like Neil Breen, but we love him anyways. I look him up, you, he, sir. He he kind of does look like Neil Breen. Look him up. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! He does a little, a little bit, a little bit like oh Neil Breen. I think it's just, I think it's the hair. It's the hair, dude. Well, the older he gets, too. Oh my god! Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> So when she's at home, Nancy tries to relax by taking a bath, which is, at, at this point, of course, Nancy's trying to stay awake, and I don't think taking a nice, soothing, relaxing bath would be the route that I would take there, but you know, maybe yeah, it's fine. At least, at least, like, bring a coffee in with you or something. Nancy, of course, falls asleep, and we get this great shot of the power glove coming up, reaching out from between her legs. Which is very yeah, kind of, it's, it's, this is a, it's a creepy shot. I mean, it's, the hand actually shows up and ducks away because Nancy wakes back up when her mother knocks on the door. So she ends up falling back asleep and she gets pulled under the tub. And this is just a really, another really effective scene. The, the idea of being pulled under your bathtub, which is the super small thing that like a human barely fits in, right? You know, President Taft couldn't fit in it. <laughs> <laughs> and and then all of a sudden when you're pulled under it's just like endless it's endless water it's like you're yeah. in this and it's dark and it's creepy this is a really really great scene outside of the dream back in her actual bathtub she's reaching trying to get out of there and her mother comes to help her and so eventually she gets out of the t- she gets out of the tub right before her mother actually gets into the bathroom and she tries to pass it off as like oh i'm okay but meanwhile, she was just like screaming, <laughs> and there's probably water all over the, all over the floor too. But. Yeah. No, this is, this is a fantastic scene. Another really great dream sequence. Again, the I love the where we're kind of in a dream, then we're not, and then we're back in. It's it's very fluid, and it, it's kind of like, I mean, I know you don't dream literally the second you fall asleep, but this is kind of how we all are when we when we sleep anyways because you have these moments where you're technically awake but you're also like basically not yeah where someone can like ask you a question you'll respond to it but but you have no memory of this or like because you're 50 percent asleep kind of thing and then that's kind of what's going on here and i like that a lot it's just kind of a neat storytelling device i guess you could say i don't know i don't know how else to describe it i agree with you and uh, going back to the tub thing Again, we have another layer of creepiness because the tub is supposed to be something so soothing and relaxing. And when you do see that, like, endless dark water beneath the opening of the tub light, you know, it's just, it's it's Yeah, that's right. The way the light comes in there, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really great stuff. Although I will... I mean, I know in you know bathtub soothing. Sure, I get it. I've watched a lot of horror movies. I've seen a lot of dead bodies there. I've seen bodies get cut up in <laughs> bathtubs. I feel like the bathtub for me is no longer sacred, sacred space. You know, kind of thing. But it's also like, I mean, even obviously Psycho, like the shower scene, shower yeah. bathtub, basically the same thing. But the reason that scene was so effective in 1960 was because obviously, a you're vulnerable. Nancy, literally naked, just completely removed of any protection not that she wears armor normally you know <laughs> she wears her mark messier jersey but <laughs> she joan of arc come on oh joan of arc no, what a... <laughs> people forget you know joan of arc 
think of her as this wonderful feminist hero hero you you know about medieval history you know what france was fighting for at that point yeah france was france was fighting <laughs> for women not to inherit <laughs> if you really want to boil it down that's what the hundred years war was about is that oh this english king can't have the title of king of france because he would have gotten that through his mother <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Joan of Arc, you feminist icon. <laughs> feminist icon. I just, I love that little uh, bit of history. I love throwing that out there. <laughs> Joan of Arc was a fraud. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> Speaking of Shakespeare, you know, uh, <laughs> Joan of Arc is a villain in a Shakespeare play. Did you know that? No. Which which play? Yeah, she's the villain in Henry the Sixth, Part One. <laughs> <laughs> she is like full on i mean remember protestant england and everything yes and yeah. obviously england too so <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah she is the villain in shakespeare's worst play although two gentlemen of rona also sucks i think it's a toss-up between those two <laughs> so nancy starts seeking out help from glenn it, kind of throughout this movie well first of all the nancy glenn relationship I feel like that's that's like barely a boyfriend girlfriend thing. Yeah, it's like they're you know just what good I mean. Friends. I feel like they're yeah. I feel like they're kind of dating, but not really. That's not a committed relationship, really. I don't think they've got the best possible scenario right for people to be dating in high school. You've got an easily sneak inable room at Nancy <laughs> at Nancy's place because she's got <laughs> yeah. the little um with the little lattice thing going up to a. a can't remember what that's called. R- roof? I don't know. <laughs> no, it's not, not the roof. No, like the literal, like the the wood, uh, not, not paneling, but like those wood kind of like tic-tac-toe board shaped things. It's a, Well, it's lattice work, but I don't yeah, know yeah, what it's yeah. called in, in lattice. on the side of a house. Is a that just it? Lattice? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I feel like there's never a scenario where it makes sense to put that on a house unless you want a boyfriend or a girlfriend sneaking in or out. Yeah, the idea is, yeah, the idea is I want to put vines on the side of my house and let my teenage child have people over. <laughs> yeah, come to think of it, I'm not, I mean, I'm sure I probably have, but I'm trying to think of an instance where I've actually seen that on a house. And I think it's just in like these 80s, 90s teen movies. <laughs> Because he's sneaking up to her room and scream, right? Although I don't think you see lattice work. I think he just comes in through the window. Well, you know, Patrick, and... we, we can ask people, anybody out there listening, let us know if you have a lattice on the side of your house. Lattice, <laughs> no. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so anyways, but so ideal scenario for teenage boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. Yeah. Obviously, Johnny Depp's got the awesome car which of course is like an early 60s car because why the fuck not in 80s movies they're always driving that stuff yeah which to be fair i mean 80s cars looked terrible so i appreciate that yeah, they really car, did like his car looks like a like a mid 50s cadillac with like a with yeah huge it's something fins. like that yeah. it's got a it's got a pretty awesome hood too we see later cuz cuz it is a convertible <laughs> but they're also they live across the street from each other they live like like right by each other so it's like one if one of their parents is gone like boom dream scenario right there yeah and it also you don't helps. Even need, need to sneak in yeah and it also helps that nancy's mom is a total drunk and she's probably like passed out by nine every night so that's yes great. <laughs> well see no she's not passed out at nine only because she has plans to drink at 10 <laughs> she passes out at ten thirty. exactly yeah is it carl perkins or luther perkins that died smoking a cigarette luther perkins 
Luther Perkins, because that's basically what she's doing. Yeah, Luther exactly. Perkins, Johnny Cash's <laughs> a guitarist, because she she basically does that. I was thinking of that, and I but then I couldn't remember if it was Luther or Carl, and I thought it was Luther, but nah, Carl's blue suede shoes, baby. Well, yeah, I know I, I know who he is. I just I knew it was one of the Perkinses. Oh, okay, I gotcha, I gotcha, I gotcha. <gasps> Glenn Perkins, oh, former All Star relief pitcher for the Minnesota Twins. That's who Johnny Depp is. That's because I said I couldn't think of it, and that, that's not his last name, but I said it. Couldn't <laughs> Actually, think of his last name earlier. Give me a second here, because I want to look up his last name in the movie, because I, I remember I looked at it, and it was... I'm ridiculous. not sure if they say it. Uh, the, uh, He'll it's, probably it's, have a last name listed, but I don't think they actually say it in the movie. Glenn Lance, L-A-N-T-Z. Okay. You just dropped a Z on this podcast. I don't know oh, if sorry. I approve of that. Sorry, America. Okay, so so she's trying to get her, her boy, Glenn Lance, to help. With a Z. Again, going back to, I don't think this relationship is that committed because he's kind of going along with everything, but he he doesn't seem particularly interested. He's certainly not as invested in everything as Nancy is. I get the impression he doesn't really believe what she has to say all that much. He's just kind of going along with it, you know, thinking he'll get some later. Well, he's also the only character out of the original four teenagers that wasn't having nightmares. Because at one point, Ron that we said know he was of. having nightmares, too. Right? Yes. It, th- that is weird that there's, like, one line from Rod saying that he has those. Mm-hmm. And as for Glenn, yeah, he never says that. But I also, like... Well, I, we, we, because we also assume. see the scenario in which he sleeps. He's got the television on and his headphones in listening to music. I almost wonder if that's there to say, like, he has dreams. He just doesn't, <laughs> doesn't remember them, hear them, because he's got all this <laughs> shit on. <laughs> Anyways, the plan is for Nancy to fall asleep and I guess just track down Freddy or whatever and have Glenn wake her up. And so when she falls asleep, she, in her dream, leaves the house. There's a nice little bit where she checks on Glenn. Glenn, are you still watching? And he just kind of pops out from behind a tree and he's like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like I love that because it's like, it's dream logic, right? Like, you know, he's in the dream, doesn't matter. Yeah, it's great. So she goes down to the courthouse where the jail is, where Rod is being held, and she sees Freddy entering the cell. So she freaks out. Why is she freaking out? Because it's just a dream, right? Like, she's not actually there. Like, it's not like it's real life, right? So why is she Well, yeah, out? no, but at this point, she believes that what Freddy does in the dream equates to real life. So she sees Freddy heading to Rod's jail cell. She assumes that's what's happening in real life. But anyways, so she wakes up and she and Glenn hurry over to the jail to try and get to Rod. But right before they're let in to see him, we don't see Freddy in this scene. He employs a good old bedsheet <laughs> to do the job. He wraps the bedsheet around this. Again, there's some good effects here because it's just the bedsheet move, moving by itself. It wraps around his neck and pulls him all the way up to the little barred window. Mm-hmm. I'm going to assume his neck breaks because there's no way in hell he was hanged long enough to choke to death yeah great effect it's super simple but it works really well with like that bed sheet snaking through the bars and stuff i can only imagine they had fishing line tied to it but it just looks great it looks a lot better like that arm and freddy's nightmares (laughs) i'll say that they didn't use fishing line they used a freaking rope i'm telling you it was so obvious So after this, we get Glenn's funeral. And I want to focus on this scene for a bit because I want to talk about something that bothers me a little bit. So Nightmare on Elm Street, this series, we all know takes place in Springwood, Ohio. (laughs) In this movie, this first Nightmare on Elm Street film, 
Ohio is never mentioned. So I'm excusing the palm trees because we see a ton of them in this scene alone. There's a scene later on where Nancy and Glenn are on that little bridge that's like very clearly Venice Beach. (laughs) I'm giving this all a pass. In Halloween, palm trees stick out because we are specifically, explicitly told this is Illinois. And eventually later on in the series, we know this is Ohio. But this movie does not say Ohio. I was like watching it for an eye on that. I'm like, I don't think they ever. So I don't know when it's established to be Ohio, if it's in the second movie, the third movie, or even in a television series. But yeah, because this is like this is like Hollywood Forever Cemetery or something like that, where we've got palm trees everywhere. So Glenn's getting buried. The priest goes with the uh, the live by the sword, die by the sword Bible verse as they're burying him, which is such a dick. uh, Like, bro, he wasn't he wasn't even tried. What are we doing? (laughs) So Nancy, at this point, obviously is convinced it's Freddie. She shares as much with both of her parents. And when she mentions the name Freddie, you see a reaction in John Saxon, in her dad. Mm-hmm. And But you're not quite sure what that means yet. But Nancy's mom, drunk that she is, has a solution. <laughs> she takes Nancy to a dream therapist, dream psychologist, dream dream doctor. Yeah, at like a sleep. A doctor right? sleep. You know, oh, like the Stephen go, yeah. King novel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> In the context, I mean, it looks like, yeah, you'd get a CAT scan here or something. But, like, what she's she's seeing Dr. Roger Rabbit about, <laughs> I guess they're I guess they're measuring her brain activity during her dreams to see if there's, mm-hmm. like, something really wrong. And she obviously has a nightmare and they're, whatever activity they're measuring on there. And they're like, oh, shit, this doesn't look good. And so Freddie's attacking her and they're wrestling a bit. They're struggling. And she must, uh, I guess she just grabs his fedora. That's when they wake her up. Then she pulls out the fedora, mm-hmm. and it's kind of weird how there's, like, I mean, there literally is no possible explanation for that, so I understand why we don't see anyone try and come up with one, but it's kind of weird that that doesn't, that that means something to Nancy, obviously, because she learns that if I'm holding something when I wake up from my Freddy dream, that means I have that, but it, that doesn't mean anything to other characters at yeah. this point. Like, I mean, maybe Nancy's mom's too drunk to, you know, put two and two together. I don't know. Yeah, well, because later, like, right after this scene, she confronts her about the hat that her daughter, quote-unquote, found. And she's like, where were you hiding that thing? Get rid of that yeah. thing. It's like, what are you talking about? You were in the room. Yeah, and because the name on that and the inside of the hat says Fred Krueger, which... Yeah. I, who doesn't write their names on inside their <laughs> fedoras, like... <laughs> In the 1980s, everyone's wearing a fedora. You need your name on that when you when you leave that at, at the coat check at the uh, local Springwood strip club or whatever, you know? This is when... This is not a great movie for Nancy's mom, but this is her best scene where she gets a little emotional and she's, she reveals who Freddy Krueger was. So Freddy's backstory is, I'm sure just about everyone listening to us already knows... There's more backstory to learn, you know, when his mother's a nun and everything. We don't care about that at this point in the series. <laughs> Freddie's backstory is he's a child murderer who, I don't know, killed a couple dozen kids or something and was arrested but got set free because something, something, you know, technicalities of the court, wasn't read his Miranda rights, someone, I think they say someone forgot to sign a search warrant or something, but I yeah. mean, I, I never got the impression that that was literally what happened. It's just generic something technical happened that set him free whether it was miranda rights whether it was illegal search and seizure something he's free so the parents of elm street 
or of the street, of the neighborhood, whatever, band together to kill Freddy. And they burnt him alive. And Nancy's mother and Nancy's father were among these groups. And this is when her mom has a great line. He's dead, dear, because mommy killed him. (laughs) And then she even shows him the glove that I don't know why they kept the glove of all people involved. Yeah. What Wes Craven is interested in exploring here is that this killer is just an evil person, right? But imagine what happens when a group of otherwise normal moral people band together to murder him. I mean, you can say it's like a justifiable murder, right? Because he's a child murderer. Possible. I mean, we don't go there in this movie, but Wes Craven's initial story idea was child molester as well, as well, child rapist and child murderer. He's not really hinted at being a molester, really, until... I mean, it's very explicit in the remake, but Freddy vs. Jason hints at it pretty heavily. They lay it on pretty thick. I, I don't think you need the molestation here for Freddy to be friggin' evil and scary and intimidating, or for even for the, for the parents in the past to have reacted the way they did. Like, child murder itself is enough. Yeah, yeah. But then also, just like, what does that do to a person, a, a normal good person when they have to kill someone. And we can kind of piece it together that, well, Nancy's mother and father probably divorced because because of this. Yeah. We don't know, but I mean, you, your mind can go places with this, and I, I really like that. That's kind of an interesting thing. And, and just in general, like, also Freddy coming back for revenge, taking revenge on the people that killed him, not by killing them, but by killing, killing their kids, the things that they love most dearly. Yeah, that's... Well, I guess I guess if he really wanted to punish Nancy's mother, he should just steal her booze. <laughs> but, I mean, that is a really, really neat idea, too. I just love... I really love just the plot of this movie. It's just so awesome. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with everything you said. I think this is all the Freddy backstory we need, not just for this movie, but really just the series in general. I don't give a shit how he was born, how he was raised... I want to know, okay, he killed kids, and he was killed. Like, that's kind of all we need with that character. Yeah. So Nancy and Johnny Depp have this nice little scene in very clearly Venice Beach. A beautiful location, by the way. I've seen that in other movies, too, but I, I, I can't place which ones. But beautiful location. Again, very clearly not Ohio, because that river would be on fire, if that were the case. <laughs> but Nancy's reading a book on, like, booby traps and stuff like that. And then Johnny Depp has some advice that I don't think is particularly helpful, but but what does he say exactly? Do you remember? No, because I remember thinking that sounded unhelpful. And This goes back to just, again, I don't think he's really buying the whole Freddy thing. He's being there for Nancy out of like oh. an obligation, right? Yeah, and I just remember what he said. He said Which that... means this is the most healthy relationship Johnny Depp's ever been in, probably. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. You know, going back to what Johnny Depp said in that scene, he said something like, I read this book once where these, like, African tribes people can control their dreams. Yes. And if they're falling through this actually is, this this is helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And he says, yeah, because kind of what... A little bit, bit, though, because, because there's, we'll get into this at the end, but because Nancy ends up trying to control her dream. And at the very end of the movie, we're like, did that even work? We don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, not to spoil the shitty shitty ending but you know or it's not as shitty as an ending as fucking puppet master but that's we'll get there you know we'll have plenty of complaints about puppet master the ending is not an issue i have with that movie 
Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll get there because I have some opinions on it. So Nancy's got her battle plan for Freddy. She obviously wants to go to sleep, pull him back in, and she's setting up booby traps. She's got this like big mallet thing ready to swing down from her door. And I'm like the entire time she's like setting this stuff up. I'm just thinking like, oh, God, her drunken mom is just going to wake up in the middle of the night, uh, go yeah. grab some booze and just screw everything up. <laughs> her mom like sneaks out a bottle of vodka from the linen closet. And that's after she <laughs> takes that and goes to bed. That's when Nancy starts working. Dude, one of my favorite parts about that scene when Nancy's setting up all the booby traps is that she puts one of those like exploding light bulbs <laughs> in the lamp and i'm like why would you do that what if your mom goes to sit down on the couch and turns it on also you say like one of those exploding light bulbs oh, yes. like that's a thing oh yeah is it exploding like you well, I mean... just buy that at a joke store <laughs> well i mean i yeah. oh they Did had those over at canadian tire you know? yeah they might i don't know they got lots of things <laughs> they've got everything there i mean all, all tested in canada by proud homeowners formerly proud homeowners. <laughs> She's got her booby trap set up. The The plan is for her to fall asleep and for Glenn to wake her up. But, of course, Nancy's mom has taken precautions. She's been, like, since Nancy's been home this time, her mom's been just not even trying to hide that she's just drunk, you know? And all the <laughs> windows are barred. Glenn's not going to be able to climb up there and wake her up, so she's hoping for a phone call. But she tries to call Glenn, and she gets hung up on by Glenn's dad because we meet Glenn's dad when he's standing outside with his 75-year-old wife looking <laughs> over at Nancy's bedroom and just being like, I don't like that girl. She's a, she looks like a whack job or something because of <laughs> the barred windows. And so, so, well, I guess, I mean, he does hang up on her, but, but he also, more importantly, takes the phone off the hook so that no call will go through. Yeah. Nancy, in frustration, ends up sort of accidentally, like, ripping her phone cord out. She tries calling again, but it's the sound of Freddy's knives on the other end of the phone. Yes, but then she, and then she, so she freaks out and she pulls the phone out of the wall, actually. Yeah, yeah. But she still gets a phone call, and it's from Freddy's tongue, which this is a famous, famous moment, of course, because he says, I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy, and then the camera just moves a little bit, and the bottom of the phone, the receiving end of the phone, is a mouth and a tongue, and it's pretty gross. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a, it's more than a little silly, but it's gross more than anything. And uh, yeah, no, it's great. Not the only time in the series Heather Langenkamp had to put up with a disgusting Freddy tongue prop, unfortunately. <laughs> Poor girl. God bless Heather Langenkamp. She had to put up with some <laughs> weird stuff on what I'm sure is almost entirely, if if not entirely, male sets, you know, where, yeah, where people yeah. are probably, like, joking <laughs> about, about the whole thing. <laughs> because, yeah, because Nightmare on Elm Street 3, you get the Freddy snake worm thing that just looks like a giant penis. <laughs> and then, yeah, she gets wrapped around by a giant Freddy tongue in New Nightmare. So, so yeah. So Nancy tries to get out of the house, and her mother is on the couch very drunk, and she's like, oh, you've been locked out, I hit the key, and, and you know, because she's worried about her daughter, I guess, even though this isn't really the best way to show it. <laughs> um, and so meanwhile, over at Glenn's house, in a very awesome scene, an arm reaches out from Glenn's bed, pulls him into the bed, along with his television and his tape deck or whatever tape player and like taking every like cord that's a take because his headphones and, and everything and just like pulling him in through there 
and then just spitting all of that up just in a pool of blood very the shining elevator scene kind of thing where it's like very clearly more blood than a human would have in them right and it's so great it's so magical how how do you think they did that do you think they had like it's the same rotating room set yeah it it is I, i know that from the documentary i think and when the 75 year old mother opens the door to see what's the matter and she starts screaming when they cut back to it like the blood is starting to it's not moving vertical anymore it's i mean like the blood being spit out from the bed is vertical but everything on the ceiling is starting to like move to the side it's starting to go to the left of the screen and that's because this rotating room set they poured so much blood that the set couldn't take it and it started to kind of like wobble (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or something like that. So it's so it's like it's like a mistake in the in the effect that they kept in because it looks cool. <laughs> wow. So Lieutenant Thompson arrives on the scene, as do a dozen other cops, and there's like lots of lines in the background, like "Oh, you don't need a stretcher; you'll need a mop for this thing." And mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> he goes in, and people are putting on buckets down on the first floor because there's blood dripping down from the um from the ceiling and everything and Nancy gets a hold of her father on the phone after obviously confirmation that Glenn is indeed dead which i mean she really already was able to put that together she says i'm going to go get the guy who did it it's freddy krueger i'm going to get him be here in 20 minutes and of course she sets alarms so she goes to sleep so in her dream, she obviously ends up confronting Freddy. She tackles him near the lattice work of the house, <laughs> and her alarm goes off, so she wakes up, but there's no Freddy in sight. And then probably in the most telegraphed jump scare of the entire movie, because there's so much empty space <laughs> on, on the screen, because it's like Nancy's in like the left third of the frame, and then there's just nothing to the right of her. It's like, oh, I wonder what's going to come up here. <laughs> and of course, Freddy, Freddy pops out. And I mean, like it, you see it coming, but it's, I mean, it still kind of works. And he attacks her and she gets out of her bedroom. And this is the home alone portion of the film <laughs> as the sledgehammer swings down, hits him right in the chest. She goads him into chasing her in the living room and he steps over like a tripwire that that does the um the exploding light bulb from Canadian Tire blows <laughs> yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love this one too because it's it's very clearly a um stuntman in this scene because suddenly it's very clearly not Robert England. It's someone like twice as wide as Robert England when when the <laughs> when the light bulb blows up, and it gets worse. But I mean, in a way that makes it better too, because they end up in the basement, and she starts him on fire. And this is first of all, this is one hell of a stunt. This fire stunt lasts forever. Dude, I feel so bad for the guy in the suit. Like, this he is have... nuts. Yeah. He's on fire for it seems like a good thirty-five seconds. <laughs> oh yeah, at least. Starts him on fire. She runs upstairs. She gets the hell out of there. She closes the door. He chases after her upstairs. He gets to the door. He falls back downstairs. So it's like, it's not even just like, he, he can't just get up there and then you yell cut and you you um hose him off or what, you know, you blanket him off. No, he's still on fire. He's, and and this is and this is classic stuntman. It doesn't look a thing like Robert England. The guy's way bigger. Well, one, the stuntman probably is bigger than Robert England. Robert England's kind of lanky and skinny at this point. But also, like, he's got so much, you know, fire retardant suit or whatever, you know, his the makeup on the head, because they have to make it kind of look like Freddy's head, but Freddy's 
bald, like obviously they're going to have something over your head because it gets set on fire. So it's this is a little comical here because it's so obviously a stuntman. It's not the worst on fire obvious stuntman I've ever seen. That would be the 1960 movie The Time Machine. You ever see that one? No, 1960? Yeah, they've got those alien guys. I can't remember their the what the alien race is called, but they're attacking Rod Taylor and he starts them on fire and when they cut to when they cut to him on fire because because these aliens are just they're just like green shirtless loincloth men very kind of star trekky yeah yeah uh they kind of look like the salt monster from okay, star yeah. trek and when he sets them on fire it's just like a person wearing like a like a looks like a person just wearing a potato sack over like their entire <laughs> body it's so bad but it's great and you see so many of those guys get set on fire so this kind of reminds me of that it's not as bad but Alert to something going on, seeing the smoke and shit come from that house. Lieutenant Thompson goes over there. He has to break into the house, of course, because the mother has locked it. They find fiery footprints everywhere. I mean, Mm -hmm. he, he obviously finds his daughter and is comforting her, and they find fiery footprints. And this scene made me really uneasy because Heather Langenkamp's walking all over those things. I mean, walking very, very near the fiery footprints, and she is barefoot. I was so nervous for her. Yeah, me too. And I've seen this movie like a dozen times, and it's I am on edge when I see this scene. <laughs> it, I mean, it's it's just like a normal scene, and maybe she's she's probably not in nearly as much danger as like we think she is, but it it looks it's it looks like a stunt because she is barefoot. To me, it's as tense as anything else in that movie. I kept on thinking she was like her blouse was going to go up in flames or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, because she's got the long kind of nightgown kind of thing, too, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, this movie has a lot of great carpet effects. I mean, earlier when uh, Nancy's coming Oh, the toothpaste home, stuff, yeah. Yeah, that was great. I loved that bit. Yeah, that when, when, he, when she's being chased upstairs and yeah. she steps in the steps and it's just bisquick. Yeah, it's like a, it looks like a melted mozzarella cheese or something. Yeah, no, it literally <laughs> was bisquick. Oh, <laughs> yeah, really? Behind the scenes <laughs> stuff, that's, yeah. So they follow the footprints and see that they go upstairs into Nancy's mother's room. So they rush in there and see Freddy still on fire. <laughs> so he's on in bed, I guess, strangling or stabbing. It looks like he's uh, strangling Nancy's mom. Her. Lieutenant Thompson covers them both with the blanket, pulls the blanket away. Freddy's gone, and the mother's just a little skeleton. <laughs> which uh, yeah. goes back into the bed with like some neat lighting effects. The bed itself is like disappeared. And then when the skeleton sinks into kind of nothingness, then the bed is just back to normal. I actually, this doesn't work in like a movie effect kind of way because I don't know what the hell's going on here. But this, the skeleton sinking into the bed, great haunted house effect. Oh yeah, absolutely. I see that if I'm at York Hollow Scream or whatever, I'm like, that's <laughs> awesome. But yeah. like in a movie, it's like you you want something something more out of this effect, whatever the hell this is, you know? So, seemingly with everything back to normal, but Nancy deep down knows something's still screwed up. Nancy goes back to her room, and Freddy is there. She knows he's there. Like, she, she's not really acknowledging him, but she just, like, knows, like, okay, yeah, you're not gonna leave me. And she goes on her little Johnny Depp-inspired, I'm in control here. She's, she's like, you know, I take back all the energy I give you. You're nothing. And he reaches for her and then disappears into like this Super Nintendo pixelated kind of thing, which (laughs) that's a a fun little effect for 1984. That's good stuff. So it's a nice, bright, shiny day. Nancy gets ready for school and it's her three friends. It's Glenn, 
Tina and Rod. Is Rod there? I don't remember. Yeah, I think there. so. Yeah. I think he's there. Yeah, it was Rod. Again, I don't think Rod Rod's going to that school actually. But they're all getting ready for school, and Glenn's convertible. Nancy's mother is like, you know, I think I'm going to stop drinking or something like that. And so Nancy gets in the car. The car starts controlling itself. The windows roll up. The hood comes down, the hood of the convertible, and it's got the Freddy sweater stripes, which we haven't mentioned yet, but the Freddy sweater, classic horizontal red-green alternating stripes. That's what this hood is. And then the car puts itself in drive and just starts going. And Nancy's mother's waving, unaware anything's wrong, even though Nancy's banging on the window, screaming. And then... uh, And then... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Freddy reaches out through the little porthole in the door and pulls a blow-up doll somewhat resembling Nancy's mother back into the bed, or into the bed, back through the door. I'm th- thinking of how weird the bed effect was earlier. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how we end. Yes, yeah, so that's A Nightmare on Elm Street. Jim, thoughts? It's a great movie. Yeah, it's it's definitely a classic for a reason. It's both terrifying and awesome in its effects. And the story is is just is perfect, really. And it's just fun too. Like, yeah, there's a lot of things to get out of a horror movie potentially. Like it's like any genre, it's complicated. You know, you, you sometimes you watch a horror movie and you want to feel like utter shit. You want a movie that just will overwhelm you and make you feel dread. And that's you know, like your Hereditaries, for instance, mm-hmm. or people not like myself that watch The Shining. That's what they get out of that. <laughs> but then sometimes you want to watch a movie just to be entertained. And this this to me is more like your Shocker than it is your Hereditary. Yes. In that yeah. sense. I mean, it's a better movie than Shocker, obviously. It's a better movie than Killer Workout. It's a better movie than most <laughs> movies we've done so far. Yeah. Even some of the pretty darn good movies. Yeah, I agree. But it's not like like Phantasm kind of makes you think this isn't quite that. It's just it's just a fun movie. But I mean, it tells its story well, too. Yeah, it's a, even it's though a, the ending is like a crapshoot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a scary, entertaining, thrilling movie. That's one of the reasons why we're talking about it on this podcast. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's just it's that great. and the random number generator. <laughs> so, Jim, what do you think about the ending? That's really kind of the elephant in the room, of course. Well, other than the blow up doll, um, <laughs> the ending. The first time I saw this movie as a kid, I was confused, and I was probably still left confused after I watched it with you for the second or third time, whatever it was. When I first saw this movie, the ending blew me away. I thought it was a great ending. Looking back, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I'm not even sure how to describe what I feel other than confusion. I Yeah, I don't know. I'm just like, why? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I want, I want to talk about the ending a bit because the ending is my least favorite part of this movie. Really, the last 20 or so minutes, I think... Once Johnny Depp gets spat up in a fountain of blood, the movie goes downhill a bit. Mm-hmm. Not because I miss Johnny Depp, because really, never, like I said, never been a big fan of him. But it's just like, from then, because it's not just the, the blow-up doll. It's the skeleton in the bed. It's just yeah. like a, what are we doing? Even though I get what they're doing with the Nancy denying Freddy power and control over her dream i get what they're going like thematically it's still not the most satisfying ending take away the ending scene that little teaser that hook for a sequel that's Mm -hmm. not still not the best ending actually the most interesting thing i've heard about this kind of like an interpretation if you will of this ending and first of all i guess just to be clear wes craven did not want this last teaser of an ending shot he did not want to shoot this this was a robert shea decision 
And in God Robert Shea's defense, he's like, he put a ton, Robert Shea put like everything he had into this movie. And he's like, I, so I need not just this movie to be a success. I need successes after this. Mm-hmm. So we need a tease at a sequel. But taking aside that, Heather Langenkamp, again, this is from the Nightmare on Elm Street six hour documentary, which if you're interested in these movies, I would highly recommend that documentary. It's Never Sleep Again. A Nightmare on Elm Street story or the story of Nightmare on Elm Street or something, whatever it's called. But Heather Langenkamp's interpretation of not just the ending, but the entire movie is, I think, really interesting and worth repeating here. She says, nothing in this movie that happens that we see actually has happened yet. The entire movie is like a premonition that Nancy is having of things that will happen. And that to me is actually really interesting. And it makes again, the last 10, 15, 20 minutes or whatever, make more sense than they do in the actual movie that we have. I'm not saying yeah. I buy it completely because I'm still not fully satisfied with that interpretation, but I think it's interesting at least. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I don't, again, I don't know if I buy exactly what she's saying. Now, my question for you though is, I was watching it and I was thinking if the ending had just been Nancy and her friends driving away in the convertible with the top coming up and it's the Freddy sweater and they just drove away like that. Like so, so no blow yeah, yeah, no blow-up doll, and, like, she wasn't freaking out in the car, like, and the friends weren't freaking out in the car. If the car just drove away, put the top up, but we see, like, we, the audience, see that it's the Freddy sweater top, would that have been a better ending and maybe, like, a tease for a sequel? I don't know. See, I think I think what's the best tease, really, the best kind of indication that maybe this whole, whole thing is a dream or maybe this last scene is a dream, but more so than the car hood being Freddy Stripes is the jump rope girls which they are there in that scene we have we haven't mentioned them they pop up a few times every now and then one of the best things about this movie we haven't talked about the music the score is fantastic it's by charles bernstein who's best known as being the third most significant bernstein in music or something you know he's he's not quite up there with the elmers but this is but this is a tremendous score and it's it's kind of synthy it's it follows, for instance, is kind of like borrowing a little bit from this, a little bit from this, a little bit from John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. But one of the best things, he, he did the melody of the um, the Jump Rope Girls song, which is the one, two, Freddy's coming for you. And it's just fantastic. And it's great. It sounds eerie, even when you just hear it on a synthesizer. Oh, yeah. All of those lyrics for that Jump Rope Girls song it is creepy stuff. And I love that they're just kind of there. The first time we see them, actually, is, is in a non-dream. It's when Tina, Nancy, and Glenn are going to school. They're just kind of hanging out. And so I like that they're kind of the... What's the, what's the word in Inception, kind of the thing denoting if you're a dream or not, like a totem or something? Yeah, what do they call the... Yeah, I don't know. Let's go with totem. They're, they're kind of there, but, they, but, but they're, also, they're also ever-present because they're there in a not-dream, but that they're in a dream. It's They're kind of like... I don't know. They're just like the fabric linking all of this somehow in a way that I can't quite make sense of, but a way that I really like, you know yeah, what I mean? Well, well you know, if, if the whole thing was... If the whole movie was a dream, this premonition that Nancy's having... In a dream then i guess that makes sense yeah yeah so that's so so that's a point for the heather Langenkamp theory yeah i guess but i i do know what you mean there i do like that connect it's like i just do like that connection between the real world or not knowing if it's the real world and not knowing if you're in a dream world you know you have like those two anchors but you don't ever realize or know what world you're in and if you're safe mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, because even the the jump rope girls themselves, I mean, I talk about them as if they, like, belong in the dream, but they don't necessarily. I mean, they they belong in, like, a dream or a nightmare because they're kind of creepy, and we see them in slow motion, and that's kind of the dream-like quality Mm -hmm. of them. But at the same time, their song that they're singing, that song's acknowledged by Tina and Nancy when they're talking about it. They're like, oh, it's like that one song. They have have a line, something like that, that this One Two Freddy's Coming For You song has a generation of kids in Springwood has grown up with this thing they don't know it's connected with a real story with a real freddy but this it's just kind of like an urban legend for them and that's all mm-hmm. like background stuff in this movie but that's also why i really like it too yeah now what did you think of the acting in this movie because i think that's one of the biggest knocks against it unfortunately um i think the acting from most of the actors is fine johnny depp eh He's, you know? he's fine. I don't. Yeah, yeah like he's fine. Him. I mean, I, you fine. know, I don't. I don't think he was fantastic. It's a better performance in this than Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. I, I'll agree with. I mean, that this is sure. far from a Johnny Depp career low. I mean, <laughs> exactly. Man made transcendence. Oh my god! Yeah, that dude. He was like the drunk mom in this movie. In that movie. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was he was he was sleepwalking through the entire thing but yeah <laughs> with a bottle of vodka um yeah yeah i think the only actors i didn't like really were the guy who played rod yeah and... he's just like whatever yeah yeah and then and then nancy's mom i was like eh. nancy's mom sucks yeah unfortunately yeah. Ron- ronnie Ron- ronnie blackley blakely whatever her name is she's not like a complete nobody she was like a character actress she did other stuff i like some of the performances in this movie i think johnny depp's decent amanda wiss is really good uh, john saxon is great as yeah. always i mean he's not like incredible or anything but i mean like this guy is just a i mean he's a great slasher movie cop right because he's the, of course the cop in a in black christmas yeah but yeah. he's also just like he's he's great like stern dad yes you know like he, he's good at playing that kind of thing he's a tough guy but but you know you, you can tell he cares about his daughter too yeah, of course. And then we've barely talked about Robert England. Talk about perfect casting as Freddy. You don't quite see that in this movie, and that's a that's a thing with a lot of these, not just horror series, but series in general. You don't always realize how special casting a certain actor is until you see them more and more in the role, whether it's Connery and James Bond or, or here, because as the series goes on, you see more and more of Freddy's personality, and Robert England just really relishes in that role. We He doesn't get many lines here. You don't see his face that clearly. He's shot in darkness most of the time, mm-hmm. but he's good. I mean, he's creepy. He's, he's threatening. Unfortunately, and it really pains me to say this, I kind of think heather langenkamp is awful in this movie and i hate saying that because she seems like a wonderful person i love her and i love her character i love nancy but i think that's more the writing than the acting wow see i i didn't have a problem at all oh well i'm I'm glad to hear that but it's it's just like she has like some lines where it's just like i'm thinking even like in the scene at the police station when she's talking to her dad i'm just like i'm not really buying it i think her scene with her mom when her mom's really drunk and telling her about Freddie Baxter, I think she's good in that scene. Granted, she's not. That's more the mom scene, and that's like yeah. the one scene I kind of like the mom in too. Yeah. So that's just a well acted scene in general. But yeah, no, I think it's the mom and it's Nancy, it's Heather Langenkamp that are kind of the performances that don't work all that well for me. I still love Heather Langenkamp. I I do really 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 like Nancy. I think there is a strength there in that character. 
that whether it's I mean I'm not I'm not going to say none of it is Heather Langenkamp. She's definitely deserves some credit, but I I do think that's just a really well written character too. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm surprised you actually said that. I had no problem with the performance of Heather Langenkamp. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that. Okay, Patrick, let's talk about Puppet Master from 1989. Please, yeah, <laughs> it's, is this the first time you've seen this? No, I didn't see it for the first time that long ago, though. I haven't seen a lot of Charles Band movies. Charles Band is kind of your Roger Corman-type figure. He's the the Full Moon Empire films. That That's all him. He doesn't direct this. He produces it. But he did direct a lot of... I think he directed even Corona Zombies, the movie that they slapped together <laughs> in 24 hours to, <laughs> to, to make a quick buck off of the coronavirus crisis. Oh, that's great. That's great. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, that's, that's as sleazy as... That movie's even too sleazy for me, especially oh, because no. like most of the footage in that movie is just Hell of the Living Dead, a 1981 Bruno Mattei Italian movie, which I guess it's hard to be pissed off about them ripping off what itself is a rip-off movie, but <laughs> <laughs> there's it's a lot of ethical questions there. <laughs> well, I will quickly say, this is the first time I saw this movie, like many other movies that we've watched. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, maybe that'll show in in what I say about it. No, you're not a not a puppet master fan. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, I th- I feel like because I'm not the biggest puppet master fan, mm-hmm. but if nothing else, this is this movie is an important little movie in a very very you know deep in the annals of film history. This movie is very important. This movie is a somewhat lengthy footnote. In the history of horror films, <laughs> let's put it that way. It's not its own. Nightmare on Elm Street's its own chapter. This is a footnote. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. Because this obviously spawned a bunch of sequels, crossovers, Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys, Puppet Master versus... No, I think Demonic Toys has two crossovers. I think Puppet Master might just have the one. It's got prequels, it's got sequels. David Dakota directed one of the Puppet Master films, or at least one of them, obviously. Because <laughs> you need that. <laughs> And just in general, these these were all direct-to-video films. Yeah. Charles Band was early in the direct-to-video market. He probably capitalized on it better than anyone else because almost all of his movies were direct-to-videos. I think he had a few early, mid-80s that were theatrical films like uh, Ghoulies, I think, got a theatrical release. And that movie made a few million dollars and that kind of enabled him to pump not a lot of money but pump money into a lot of different movies at the same time this movie is important in in its own way i guess you could say well yeah well you know it's something we can let the audience decide but with puppet master after we get this opening credit sequence of terrifying looking puppets we're introduced to andre toulon in 1939 at the bodega bay inn in california Who's played by, I don't know if you caught this, he's played by Uncle Lewis from Christmas Vacation. Oh, is he? No. Yeah, he's the guy He's the guy with the toupee in that movie. This movie <laughs> came out the same year, and this looks like natural hair. Yeah. So I think he shaved his head for Christmas Vacation is oh, what I'm guy. getting out of this. He's got great hair in this. He barely talks in this movie, but he's got the best old man voice ever yeah. when you watch Christmas Vacation, when you watch... <laughs> Because he's the, um, he's like the crazy scientist in Nightmare Before Christmas also. He's the one that built the girlfriend. Oh, he is. He's that guy. Yeah. And he's got that, he's got that, that classic old man voice. He kind of sounds like a cartoon to begin with. <laughs> and then, uh, so I see him in like Christmas Vacation. I'm like, oh, that's a funny voice that he's putting on. 
And then I see him in other things, and it's like, oh, is that his real voice? Or is that his acting? <laughs> yeah. Is that an actor decision? And then I see him. The, the giveaway for me was he's in an episode of Tales from the Crypt where he plays an old man, like an old billionaire who wants to date a young woman. So he swaps his brain out to a young, attractive man's body. And it's still his voice when he's the young man. And he's still talking in that voice. And it's like, oh, I guess I guess that's his real voice. I thought that was just his old man acting voice. Well, he's a great actor, I guess, because in this, he plays an old Frenchman who speaks very smoothly and sweetly. Yeah, he, he only has a few lines, really. But yeah. He talked to a puppet at one point. Yeah. Well, so this guy, Andrew Toulon, He's this old puppeteer who's putting the finishing touches on a new puppet when we meet him, and then he subsequently brings it to life with some sort of magical power that he has. But in this hotel room, he has a bunch of puppets kicking around, and one of them, also alive, is looking out the window for <laughs> for Nazi spies that show up. He begins to load all of his puppets into a chest, which he hides in a wall when the Nazis show up. Mm-hmm. And before they bust into the room, he shoots himself. But I just want to briefly touch on this, I guess. The whole scene leading up to him shooting himself, he has another puppet that is for some reason out in the wild, right. like outside. Yeah. And I really hate this scene, Patrick. I really do. Are you, are you not a fan of the POV camera as an excuse to not show a special effect? Is that no. what you're saying? No, no, no. My point is, we see it throughout this movie, but I think here it's done really poorly because you see everybody and like the the direction or the angle that this puppet is supposedly approaching people at you're like you're like some oh it's very inconsistent yes yeah it's like if you're walking along you could see this puppet coming at you yeah for instance there's there's the scene when the puppet knocks on the door to toulon's room yeah. And Tuan, we should say the actor's name. He's not just Uncle Lewis. He's William Hickey is his name. But he goes to pick him up and obviously just like lifts the camera or whatever. But he d- he does not bend down very far. And I don't no. know if that's because maybe old man, they didn't want him to do that. But I think even more likely is just that's just where the camera happened to be set up. Yeah, so. I, yes. I, I think so. Yeah. So we get this kind of fun shot, which again, I don't like of this puppet running around the hotel and hiding behind people. This puppet, he shows up later, is terrifying. He has a, a hook for one hand and a knife for the other yeah this is your signature puppet in the series as far as i know i haven't seen the other movies but this is always the guy that i think of when i think of puppet master there's a there's five or six seven puppets there's kind of there's four main ones in this movie did you know that they all all have names yeah there's like a pinhead this is blade this yeah this is our second straight episode with a pinhead but (laughs) Pinhead yeah. might be my favorite just because he's so weird. He's got a tiny head and he's got like a normal sized body, but then he's got like human sized hands. It's just yeah. really weird to look at. He's he's pretty fun. Well, there's two that really creep me out, but we'll get to those shortly. Leech Woman's one of them, I guarantee yes. you. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> In the present day, we are introduced to four psychics who are living across the states from one another, uh, but they all had visions relating to a friend that they know. Yeah. You know, one guy's like a professor. One woman is like a gypsy fortune teller at a carnival. Which I want to talk about that scene for a second. She's at a carnival. There's two noteworthy things about this scene. One is the obvious is that the person she's seeing as her gypsy duty or whatever, (laughs) person paying her, is Barbara Crampton, the star of hit films such as Reanimator, From Beyond, Mm -hmm. Your Next great actress wonderful to see her here even if it's a really small role where she doesn't even get a name she's like billed as like woman at carnival or something (laughs) the other thing i want to talk about is even more interesting at least for me and i love barbara crampton so this is no slight against her but the sound effect we have when we first go to the carnival i am so familiar with that sound effect you know why 
That is a stock sound effect used in the computer game Roller Coaster Tycoon. Oh, it no. Is like, which I played a ton of times as a kid. I loved those games. <laughs> and the second we go to the carnival, like I heard the first couple of noises, and I knew what the next couple would be after that because I was so familiar with that sound. Oh, and no. Like, oh, that's great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's budget shows, I guess. Hey, I'm I'm just surprised Roller Coaster Tycoon didn't have an, a completely original soundtrack. What can I say? <laughs> They're ripping off Puppet Master. <laughs> oh, oh no! The last two psychics that we're introduced to are named Frank and Carissa. I th- I think they're married. They explain that all four of these psychics are being called to the Bodega Bay Inn because one of their psychic friends, Neil Gallagher, has found the Puppet Master's hiding place and he's calling them all to join him. Yeah, loved him in Oasis. (laughs) On arrival at the hotel, all these psychics learn from Neil Gallagher's wife, Megan, that Gallagher is dead. He shot himself. And that his wife was left instructions to prepare for the arrival of the psychics. And none of them knew he had a wife because he married her like recently or yeah, something. Yeah, like two she's, years ago or something. She's the she's the hotel owner. I guess she inherited it from her parents. Yes, yeah. And she kind of married him on like almost like a whim. Yeah. And all the psychics, once they start talking to this woman, they're like, you know, he probably just married you for your money, right? And she's just like, yeah, I don't care. Yeah. All the psychics start settling into their rooms and they're preparing for dinner, but some of them are having strange visions of Neil. So Alex, this one psychic, he has a vision of Neil dancing with his wife Megan in a ballroom, while Carissa, who can see the emotional history of objects, sees that Neil raped some woman in the elevator that she's in. Yeah, that's just really uncomfortable. I I like the idea of like the emotional history of objects. That's really like a fun idea. Yeah, that's cool. But really, they only use it to talk about sex. Okay, listen. Did I wanna, you notice that? Because, yes, I want to bring that up in at the, the end. Bed, <laughs> yeah, she's in bed later, and she's like, oh, this is a movie star bed. Clark Gable and Carol, I can't remember her name. Carol Carol Lombard. Yeah, that's it. Uh, they had a wild night of passion in this bed. And it's like, can we get her to talk about something other than sex with yeah. this, like, superpower she has? I know, I know. Listen, there's... Whether it's forced or not, the sex, there's... like, it's... <laughs> Oh, it's just, I don't know. There's three scenes in this movie I really hate, and I want to talk about them at the end. Anyways, at dinner, one of the psychics, the the gypsy carnival psychic, Dana, tells Megan that her late husband was probably using her for money or for his own personal gains. And offended at this, Megan leaves the table and Alex follows her. And here we get a bit of a backstory on the characters and what's actually going on because we know pretty much nothing at this point. We learn that Frank, the husband of Carissa... He was working with Neil on discovering some ancient Egyptian form of magic that can give life to inanimate (laughs) dolls, which I think he says inanimate figurines. Dana used her powers to find the last quote-unquote alchemist that had the power to do this, a famous puppet master of the 1920s, which is the fellow that we saw at the beginning, and which is why they're all at the hotel now. And then we learned that Alex can see things in his dreams that will happen in the future. They all have, Mm -hmm. like, really lame powers except for carissa she's the coolest one but also alex's power because because he does make a point when she's asking him she's like what's your power i dream things yeah and she's like <laughs> yeah. well well, uh, well everybody dreams and he's like no but i dream of things that will happen so we kind of already know where the story's going because he's seen yes yeah he's seen liam gallagher dancing in the ballroom <laughs> With his wife. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or Noel Gallagher, whatever. And it's just like, we kind of know where the story's headed here, yeah. which I think that's a missed opportunity. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Ugh, this, I'm not a big fan of this movie. Anyway, anyways, 
Everybody's sitting at the table eating and this maid, uh, who's like the only maid for the hotel, she goes to this room where Neil's body is and she's stoking a fire, but a puppet sneaks up behind her and clubs her. Oh, I like this scene. This is my favorite scene. You didn't like this scene or you're just saying you don't like the movie? I just didn't like the act. Oh, well, I don't like the movie that much. I also didn't like the actress. To me, this is the most effective scene of the movie. Uh, yes. With the piano stuff? Yeah, I liked that. There's some good stuff here. Yeah, I'll, you know, okay, I'm changing my tune on that. I like that. I like that scene. I just don't like the actress. Oh, I agree. Yeah, she had like a cartoon voice. Yeah, what she was, was like, that? Meh, 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 meh. they're always making <laughs> mess. Sounded like Lisa Simpson. <laughs> 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 like, what the hell? Was that, I like, I, I, I was giving Uncle Lewis shit earlier for his voice, but this <laughs> one's even worse. It is, yeah. Sometime later, Megan enters this, this same room and she screams and faints. But it isn't the body of the maid that scared her. Because the body of the maid is missing. Nobody knows where it is. It's her dead husband sitting in a chair. So the psychics rush in and they put Neil's body back in the coffin and they all head upstairs for the night. So this is where the movie... (laughs) I mean, it was already kind of off the rails because of how stupid it is. But upstairs, the married psychics embark on some sexual experimentation on on the bed of, uh, of Clark Gable and Carol. Who was it? Lombard? Carol Lombard. While this couple are banging it out loudly, Dana is doing some tarot card reading to her dead dog, which she keeps in her purse. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) I like that too. It's a stuffed dog. Like, you know, the dog's dead and it's been stuffed. But I'm thinking like, is is that just a real dog that they trained to be real still? Because I thought (laughs) at first it was a dog. And then at the end of the movie, it's like, oh, wait a second. (laughs) But but like, like, they're going to do something with this dog. You just know it. Exactly. So those three cool people are doing those things. Alex is just trying to sleep. But the whole time, there's this creepy puppet either scuttling around people's feet or peeping through their keyholes. Oh, yeah. This was weird because this is Blade again. Yeah. And Blade looks through the keyholes and see the two people fucking. Yeah. And And then his eyes shoot out. His eyes kind of like jut out. And I thought the implication, (laughs) I was really worried for a second. I thought like his eyes were erections. I was really disturbed by that. Yeah. Later on, his eyes do the same thing when he's about to kill someone though. So it's not. Well, maybe it is. Unless he gets erections (laughs) when he kills people. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a serial killer thing. Like this. So I don't know. Now, see, this is the kind of puppet POV that I like, though, when he's, like, pulling the chair to the to yeah. the other doors. I thought that was done really well, and I liked that a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, like, some of the puppet POV camera stuff is, is good. It's not all terrible. No. It's mostly terrible. <laughs> it's just, like, this is one of those movies that, like, even though I enjoy it, I'm just, like, I can't make it through 90 minutes of Puppet Master without it for at least, like, a minute or two thinking, like, Oh my god, I'm watching Puppet Master. Like, where did where did I go wrong? What yeah. led me to this? Yeah, I was I was there the whole time. But as you pointed out, Blade opens the door to the married couple's room where they're banging it out, and Carissa notices that the door's open and she hears something under the bed. So she decides to take a look, but there's another puppet under the bed, which is terrifying. I don't know why anybody oh, yeah, would make a puppet her. like this. Yeah, and he's got a drill on his head, and he just runs into her face and kills her. But she has handcuffed husband's hands to the to the bed frame and given him a blindfold yeah. too. So he doesn't know exactly what's going on. But then he's attacked by a female puppet who Leech starts one. like Yeah, who starts kissing his nipples and like making feminine noises and then starts And vomiting. he thinks it's his wife the entire time. Exactly. Which, like the mouth is the size of your fingertip. Like, exactly. Yeah. But I will say 
Puppets, most of the time, they are literal, like, in terms of the effects. They are literal puppets. And it's lazy as hell when they're puppets, of course, because <laughs> it's just... Especially with Leech Woman. Leech Woman is shot the worst of all the puppets. Yeah, of all but the she's, main ones, she's easily the most terrifying, or one of the most I mean, terrifying I whatever, ones. but, like, it, it's very clearly someone is just holding her barely off screen. Yeah. Whereas, like, the other ones, because we see them interact a little bit where they're stop motion. And yes. I will say that, I mean, stop motion in general, I mean, I like it, but it always looks a little a little silly, a little dated. It, it never looks perfect. That's just the nature of stop motion. Yeah. This is really good stop motion, though. Yeah, Most of the time, it, it's, it's very, very good. Yes, it is. And it's like, I would have liked to have seen more of the stop motion than the actual puppetry. But I understand why they didn't, because that's time consuming. That's difficult to do. It's probably more, exp- well, it's definitely more expensive than just having someone hold leech woman by the legs you know (laughs) six inches off screen or whatever yeah leech woman as you've mentioned and as you know her name points to she vomits leeches out of her mouth and it's disgusting it's actually disgusting and she's a medieval doctor (laughs) yeah she's just trying to heal him (laughs) cure him of sin but yeah she's vomits leeches all over frank's body and he's screaming but everybody the, the other two psychics just think that they're still having sex this happens in horror movies all the time where someone hears someone like screaming in terror and they're just thinking like, oh, there they go. They're having a great, yeah. they're having oh, sex. Wow. That's, that's such a stupid thing. Yeah, I agree. While all that is going on, Alex and Dana run into each other in the hallways. Declining her offer of a nightcap, Alex carries on his way while Dana heads into her room and finds the body of Frank sitting in a chair with a drink. So she's not frightened. She does some like voodoo magic stuff. Like, I, I called her Gypsy earlier, but I think she's more like a voodoo, hoodoo voodoo kind of thing. I'm sure to the people making this movie, it's it was all the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if Charles Band and David Schmoller did their voodoo research. They're just like, hey, you know, be cool. Yeah, chicken foot with blood on it. Yeah. <laughs> Stuffed dog, that's a voodoo thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so... She's not afraid of, of the body of Frank as she does some hoodoo voodoo stuff on it. But then, as she's kind of relaxed, she gets flipped onto her bed by pin, the pinhead puppet, who, you know, as you said, has like human-sized hands, a tiny little head. It's not creepy, but it's interesting. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah, it is. It's It's like... It's just kind of unsettling or a little just like weird, a little, well, it, it a makes little it, uncanny almost. It makes it even weirder because he's the one you see done in the stop motion style the most, I would say. Yeah, I think so. It's him and, and Tunneler a lot. Yeah. Oh my God. That one. Yeah. Pinhead then breaks one of Dana's legs and she chucks him against a wall and she craw- like she crawls out of her hotel room where she then <laughs> is attacked by Pinhead again. She throws him down a staircase. But then Blade is at the end of the hallway, and she slides her way into an elevator to escape him, only to be attacked by Pinhead on the ground floor, who she then shoves away, throws away, only to have her throat slit by Blade. So now, out of the four psychics, three of them are dead. And we've only got the American Graffiti guy left. Yeah. Which, he's the most boring character in this movie. He is, yeah. It's, yeah, he definitely is. I mean, not that the others were particularly charismatic. I like the fortune teller gypsy one a little bit yeah i like the i think couple because they're fucking weird but <laughs> well they're fucking weird <laughs> they're fucking weirdly yes. yeah yeah well now patrick you might be wondering what what's alex doing all this is going on well i'll tell you because apparently he was supposed to be out for a walk but he's just sleeping and he's again having this recurring nightmare that neil is wearing a puppet mask dancing with megan before shooting her 
Then he wakes up to another nightmare where the severed heads of his friends are at the foot of his bed. But then he actually wakes up to Megan knocking on his door. And as they leave and, and they're going up to the attic or like an unfinished floor of the hotel that they've been renovating. And as it looks like his nightmare premonition is going to come true, he takes Megan by the hand and they run downstairs to find the bodies of his psychic friends at the dining table with Neil alive and well waiting for them. Turns out, Neil killed himself and brought himself back to life with the Puppet Master's magic to live forever. This is where I I just don't understand. He killed the other psychics so that they wouldn't find out that he discovered the magic? And then he says that he's tired of experimenting with this gift of magic on other puppets? And he's, like, calling them stupid and dumb? Yeah, <laughs> so the entire <laughs> conclusion of the movie, you know, the climax of the movie is the puppets after him. Yeah. And, and they only turn on him because he just shit-talks them right yeah. in front of their faces, which yeah, is he's a like, really You're dumb all thing to stupid, do idiots. when these things can kill people. Yeah. Although we also see just how limited these puppets are because, I mean, they're puppets. Like, really, the amount of things that have to go the puppet's way for them to kill a single person are, like, astronomical. Like, you need that guy tied <laughs> to the bed kind of thing, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. And in this scene, Noel Gallagher gets locked in an elevator and all four... All four of the puppets are there, even though it, it looks like there's just one. Eventually, they're all there. Yeah, and it takes them 15 minutes to kill him. Oh, yeah, but that, that's that's a fun scene. It's overindulgent, but it's like, it is like a scenario where this is the only scenario where I can imagine these puppets actually killing somebody. They need yeah. to be locked in a very small room, and you need more than one puppet because this guy can 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 keep, you know, even the strongest one, Pinhead, he can keep him at arm's length. <laughs> I mean, he's got human-sized hands. He doesn't have human-sized arms. Yeah, I like. I don't. <laughs> yeah, so like they pin him on the ground, and isn't it Pinhead holding him by his head? And then Blade rips his mouth open with his hook, and then Leech Lady, the Leech one, starts vomiting leeches into his mouth. Yeah, and and t- Tunneler's just uh, he's Hanging out. doing his thing. Because uh, Pinhead was the one that closed the door, and then Pinhead was getting his ass handed to him, and so Tunneler really stepped in and kind of saved the day. He saved yeah. Pinhead. Because he gets him in the, like the ankle or the you know the calf. Yeah. And Blade cut off his fingers, which is pretty cool. And I like how it's not it's it's green blood, like a, like a resurrected weird blood. Yeah. It's not just normal blood. Well, I, look, I'll be honest. Nothing can save this scene for me. I think it's <laughs> I think it's so boring. I think there's so many. Well, listen, I'm just gonna get I'm just gonna cut to the chase. We'll get to the end. Because this is, this is pretty much the end. Yeah. After Neil's killed, Alex leaves, says goodbye to Megan, and Megan takes this stuffed dead dog and walks upstairs, and then it comes to life in her arms and follows her up the stairs, and that's the it. That's it. Yeah. So, Patrick, what did you think of Puppet Master? Puppet Master's all right. You know, it's a passable movie. I can't say it's great. Again, footnote in the annals of film, in that great book of film history. It's okay. It's got a few effective scenes. The stop motion is a delight. The puppets themselves, like the design of them, the the uniqueness, Pinhead being cool, Blade looking awesome. I'm not a Leech Woman fan, but that's fine if you are. No, she's disgusting. Tunneler's pretty cool. I like Tunneler. He's my favorite. And there's a couple others, but they just kind of move their heads a bit. They don't really do anything. It's an okay movie. It's I enjoy it. It's not great... For this to be, like, a really good movie for me to, like, not feel ashamed of watching it, <laughs> it needs more plot. Yeah. Because it's kind of like they show up at the hotel, and then and that's kind happens. of it for a while. 
Yeah. It's just like a few things happen. Like there's not really plot once they get to the hotel. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and there's, I don't want to say there needs to be more puppet action. There's not as much puppet stuff as you would expect, but I think that's fine. I don't, I don't feel like the movie's lacking in puppetness. Feel like we get enough. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, I wish when it came to the puppets, because I have the same opinion as you do about the plot, but I wish when it came to the puppets, they were like more creative deaths instead of just waiting for somebody to, you know, be tied to a bed or waiting for somebody to look (laughs) under a bed. Puppets have limitations. Like, is Puppet Master based on any, like, horror novella or something like that? Or is it just its its own I think it's it's based on, I mean, the clear inspiration here is Child's Play, but I really don't think it's based on it. No, I don't believe it is. I think it's an original screenplay, as they say. Well, because then, like, why wouldn't you come up with puppets who could, like, shoot arrows or something, you know? Maybe there are. Maybe there are. And there's, like, 14 of these movies. There probably <laughs> is a, a Cupid puppet at some point. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, I mean, my whole my whole opinion on this was that it was just kind of boring because not much happened. After they got to the hotel, nothing really happened. The two strangest characters were the two characters that got killed off immediately, Frank and Carissa. Not immediately, but... It's like an hour into the movie, probably. Yeah, which, again, this movie doesn't even really start for an hour. I think this movie really has problems in all three acts, if you will. Mm -hmm. The first act, the movie doesn't really get going for a while. I mean, the first 10 minutes or so is all like the flashback stuff, which I actually kind of like. But it's not the plot. It's just backstory. And then the second act, kind of nothing happens. The second act, I'd say, is the biggest problem. And then the third act is just like, okay, Neil and Alex fight a bit. And then the puppets turn on him. And that's kind of like it. (laughs) You know, it's not much of a third act either. The third act was neither shocking or surprising, and it was very anticlimactic when Neil gets trapped in the elevator. I actually, well, here's the thing. I liked the elevator stuff because I like fun puppet stuff, but mostly because before he got trapped in the elevator, it was just him and Alex fighting. And can you think of a more fucking boring climax for a movie called Puppet Master? No, what the most boring Two guys duking it out, completely removed from the puppets of the story. So I welcomed the elevator scene as sloppy and awkward as it was it was a step up from that i don't mind that the puppets turned on neil i like that but it, it's just like the elevator scene just felt like it went on for so long and like nothing happened oh it did for it so did. yeah long. it's a long it's longer than it needs to be but i'll take that over even if it's a 10 second fight i'll take that over just two guys fighting in this supernatural horror movie yeah. you know two guys yeah. fist fighting what were your favorite kills in this movie? Because I'll tell you mine. Mine were <laughs> the tunneler tunneling through Carissa's head and then the, the sure. leech woman vomiting all over Frank. I would probably go with tunneler. Loki, I think Uncle Lewis shooting himself was pretty good. I especially like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the blood spurt is fun, but I also like that obviously he's this old man he's this guy in this 80s and they've got some special effect like on the back of his head or on on the wall behind him like very close to his head and they're telling him okay put the gun in your mouth and press it and he looks very unsure of it and it actually looks like the effect goes off before he even pulls the trigger (laughs) but being the true professional that he is he goes with it and he i mean he dies the performance of the death once that effect goes off is good, but I still feel like it looks like that effect went off earlier than it should have to me. So that's why I kind of like that. Right? I got a, I got a few scenes that I would think would make this movie better if they were either not in this movie or if they were I don't know, maybe played more seriously or something. The first one is Blade running around at the beginning under a hotel patron's legs and stuff like that. So you're not a Blade Runner fan? <laughs> no, I do not like Wesley Snipes. 
the fuck? Harrison Ford's in Blade <laughs> Runner. Yeah, but then Wesley Snipes just in Blade. <laughs> well, so what? I didn't say Blade. I said Blade Runner. Oh, damn. But okay, okay so you, you don't like the POV running around. Yeah, I, I didn't like that POV running around at the beginning. I thought it was a little silly. But, but I will say about the POV stuff, it's silly. Of course it is. But that stuff is like meant to have credits over it. And that's what it most of it is, you know? So I'm, I'm fine with it. I mean, yeah, that's what you're saying. Just not to my taste. The next three scenes involve Carissa. But the other scene is when she gets the image of Neil raping somebody in the elevator. I don't know why that's in there. And it it makes no sense to the story. No, no, it it doesn't add anything to the story. It feels like, again, because low-budget movies, we talk about this. It's like most of the time it seems like rape is in there to squeeze in some boobs. Yeah. But we have a sex scene later. Yeah. It's bad even if if it's done for that purpose, but it's also superfluous when you have boobs otherwise, you know, in a different context than like yeah. why even add this. Yeah, I agree. That's I didn't need that scene. If I strike one thing from this movie, it's that. Now, two more scenes. One is Carissa finding out that Cary Grant and Carol Lombard had sex on the bed. Oh, that's just a fun that's just a little joke scene. I'm okay. It goes on a little too long, but like that's just like a here, let's have a laugh at this. Exactly. Now I was gonna say it just goes on a little too long. But the last scene, I think, it really doesn't need to be in it, is when she's in the tub. You know you know what the joke it should have been they should have made that more of a joke. They should have had it be like two people that you could never picture with each other or something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Like well, I'm like, trying to think of an example, but Or how come it wasn't like a Rock Hudson joke? Well, yeah, I mean, you could go a Rock Hudson, you could go a, uh, it was the Perry Mason guy. You could you could do a oh, joke yeah. about, like, a gay guy. I don't know if people knew Cary Grant was gay in the 80s, but there's another one there. But, I mean, I like that they didn't do that, at least, because that'd be kind of tasteless. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then... Oh, but they could do this. This would actually probably get a laugh out of me, though, if she's like, oh, you know, Rock Hudson and Doris Day had a, a wild night in here <laughs> together. And, and then her husband's like, I don't think your powers are working, honey, or something like that. Like, that, yeah, I would probably laugh at that, that'd as kind of tasteless as that is, yeah. And then I guess the last tasteless scene involving uh, her and her husband is when she's in the tub, and she's like, oh, my God, two women were in this tub. They were in the Navy during World War II. They spent their whole night in this tub and then her husband goes hey while you're having fun in there you want to pick up on uh neil and megan for me neil and his hot young wife and i'm just like what the fuck is going on <laughs> like it's like yeah, these two yeah. crazy sex perverts <laughs> that one didn't bother me i don't know but uh but yeah definitely the rape get rid of the rape and that's gonna be that's like our catchphrase moving forward probably. get rid of the rape <laughs> if you don't need rape to tell your story don't use it it's just nobody likes it it's not titillating and i don't i mean to be fair i don't think this little scene the brief glimpses we get of the rape i don't think it's meant to to turn anyone on no you know is this our first indication that neil is the villain maybe yeah yeah that he's a that he's a piece of shit i don't know know, but he can be a piece of shit without raping people too (laughs) put that on a shirt (laughs) which of these two movies do you prefer nightmare on elm street puppet master uh, yeah, definitely a nightmare on Elm Street. I think that one's pretty obvious. How about you? I mean, yeah. I mean, it sounds like I enjoyed Puppet Master a lot more than you did, but Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street's a classic. It's great. It's not perfect, but it's very, very good, and it's wildly entertaining. But Patrick, do you think this would make a great double feature? I'm going to say not great, but I'm going to say good. What's keeping this from being great, because I think the movies work together, 80s, you know, varying in quality but you got your kind of slasher kind of thing supernatural element 
where it's not great is that the second movie is a big letdown after the first movie. But I, I think they work well enough together. And I wouldn't want to put Puppet Master first, so I would keep the order. But I just, it's just not perfect together, but they're decent enough. Yeah, dude, you, you took the words right out of my mouth because that's exactly what I was going to say. But so this is, by the way, three episodes in a row that I say the movies work well enough together. That's shocking. This is, the, the, <laughs> we're, we are blazing some new trails here. <laughs> so I'm curious then if perhaps next episode you will also agree that we have a good double feature. Oh, let's because find out. Because what we have next time is The Invisible Man from 1933, the original, not the newest one. I don't believe it's streaming anywhere. If it is, it will be on the Peacock streaming service. At any rate, I'm sure it's on there, but it might be you need like the Peacock premium or whatever. It might be one of those things. I'm not sure. And then as our second feature, we have Dolomite, the immortal <laughs> black exploitation <laughs> flick from Rudy Ray Moore. And Dolomite is streaming on Tubi. It's also on Prime, but it says free with ads, which I thought that's why I had a Prime subscription to avoid that stuff. But <laughs> I think they're seeing that, you know, I mean, YouTube is doing the free with ads thing now. I think people are realizing Tubi was on to something here. So at any rate, Dolomite, you can watch it. You might get ads, which, by the way, I haven't gotten a single ad on Tubi in forever. They just, like, never pop up. There, there are moments where you can tell they're trying to cut to an ad, but, like, the ad doesn't load or something, so it just <laughs> continues going. I don't know what's going on, but I'm having a great time with my Tubi. But, yeah, The Invisible Man and Dolomite, we will have that for you next episode. Please remember to rate us on whatever, on whatever app you listen to us on, because that really helps us out. Keep an eye out for any updates we have on twitter we're happy to communicate with you folks again if someone has a full moon subscription let me know what that's like because i am considering it if only for that 12 disc puppet master box set or whatever <laughs> whatever it is it's like it's pretty tempting you know for, for a year subscription to get that but yeah i don't think there's anybody out there who hasn't seen a nightmare on elm street but if you haven't please go watch it puppet master you could probably skip but you know watch it just to say that you've watched puppet master puppet master is a movie where you know before you see it you know if it's for you or not <laughs> words to live by you know if puppet master is going to work for you or not also get rid of the rape <laughs> yeah.